2: This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. deep, going back, looking up, he will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back! Goal! Cody
1: Bellinger hits one out. He on. so he's your home run derby. Champions.
2: Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe, from spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend.
1: A Friday edition of A's Cast Live. How is everybody? Hopefully you're doing well. Hopefully you're safe. And hopefully we can help you get through this day because we've got a great collection of guests coming up here on A's Cast Live. Our A's historian, David Feldman, will be here at one thirty. Another top ten list about A's history. At 2.30, well, I think we're going to have my, my old head coach at San Jose State, Sam Perraro, at 2 o'clock. And then a guy that we always have on when we're talking Angels baseball. He's one of my favorites grew up watching him pitch. Mark Gubazaw, the Kansas City Royal Great will be here at 2:30. And then how about this? Making his return. He's arguably the greatest sports talk show host of all time. He's in the Radio Hall of Fame. You can hear him on Sirius XM. He's got his own channels. And he's also has his own show on MLB on MLB Network. The Hall of Famer, Chris Russo, is going to be here at 3 o'clock. And then we'll check in with our buddy, Roxy Bernstein, at 3.30. What's Roxy? Roxy travels so much. Like, he's one of those guys that has, like, the special privileges at the airport, right? He can go in the, you know, those those secret cocktail rooms that have food that none of us know about because we just, you know, we, we buy a ticket. We show up, here's my luggage, we get on the plane, go. I mean, He's like, I don't even know if he's a Gold Star member or whatever. What's Roxy? Roxy's got to be, this guy's used to traveling around the country calling games. What do you think Roxy Bernstein's, he's got to be pulling his hair out. So we'll check in with our buddy Roxy Bernstein. Uh, Commander Cody, how are you?
3: I'm doing great. Uh, can't really complain, it's Friday. Three-day weekend. We, when was the last time we said we had a three-day weekend? I make you work every day, so you finally going have a couple of days off.
1: Yeah, you can't be calling me on Monday. The computer will be shut off. It's Memorial Day. You know, this will be the first time I haven't worked on Memorial Day in 20-something years. I mean, that's the, you know, when you think of when you're in baseball, you always work the holidays. Those are the biggest days, especially for the A's. You know, these, these you get really good home crowds. So, it's going to be weird to have Memorial Day off. Um, I'll tell you this. I played golf yesterday, and it was just glorious to be outside, to just hit them, have friends. You know, everybody gets their own golf cart. Everybody's social distance. But just to be out and be alive again was phenomenal. And it was the day... Talk about a leadoff hitter having a bloody Mary and going to the first tee. Pretty good, made my day. Got a little sunburnt, a little sore today, hard to get out of bed. But it was well worth yesterday playing golf and being alive again, being a pretty, you know, not being stuck in my house or walking around the block or riding my bike to actually be have a little competition, was uh, was healthy. So if you get a chance, you know, golf courses have opened up, even if you haven't played in a long time, even if the, you got a lot of dust on your clubs. I hadn't played. I couldn't even remember the last time I played. But just to get out there and to do something and be competitive, uh, Commander, I, I recommend you dust off the clubs and get out and play a little golf.
3: Well, I've never actually gone golfing before, but I might have to take it up to take, you know, to get out of the house because I really haven't gone out. While you were out golfing yesterday, I was here working as always, putting the, putting together stuff for for t- today, and uh, we're doing a really special Best of the Year show, which I'm really looking forward to airing next week. So I was doing a lot of that, but sounds like you had a lot of fun golfing. And we know from hearing from Burt Blyleven in Fort Myers, Florida, that his golf course never closed. So. And I'm sure a lot of people here that like to golf are very excited that they're able to golf here in Northern California. Now, which golf course did you go to? Uh,
1: I played at Court of All with the uh, professor, Matt Pearl, John Clark, the lawyer, and my financial guy, Brad Ledwith,
3: who was the member there. It's a lot of uh, high-ranking officials, and then you were like the lower-level guy there. So now you know how I I feel.
1: I I was no doubt the lower-level employee (laughs) out of this group. Like – they you know they they have to tell me when to speak. I can't just talk, right? We are talking management. We're talking a lawyer. I mean, we're talking big time people. I'm just uh, I'm just the schmuck on A's cast.
3: Do they point at you to talk? Yes. <laughs> Cordovals is a nice golf course. I've I've only ever seen it from, you know, from the outside and we played it, but you oh, know, it's from beautiful. from living down in the the old South well, the deep South Bay down there in Morgan Hill with Cordovals and San Martin I've always wanted to play golf there if I ever wanted. My friend used to work there, so he used to always tell me about it. So maybe one day I'll get down there to, to live it up and golf at Cordoval.
1: Yeah, once we get back to normal, if you've never been down, you can stay down there. They got cabanas. It's a it's a beautiful location, tucked away in these hills, and it's uh it's absolutely beautiful. You know, a lot of people keep asking me, you know, about the start of the season, and. I do believe the, the you know there's always gonna be negotiations. It's just how it works. But in the end, I think everybody's gonna come together and realize we need to get this thing going. You know, it's 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 what I've said to a couple people, like if I can go to Costco, we can play baseball. If I can play golf, we can play baseball. And the more people that I, I hear from uh, I think we're in the next, probably next week, we're going to start getting more news from Major League Baseball. And hopefully the players and the players union understands. We got over 36 million people on unemployment right now. There, You know, Chris Russo is going to break this down coming up here at 3 o'clock. He went on a total rant, if you didn't hear about it, He went off on the players, and Scott Boris, and it was in the New York Post. He's right. If you're you're looking to pick up nickels, it's not going to be good for your sport because this is the one sport that can play every day. I can't say it enough. I've actually been on a radio tour the past couple days on 95-7 the game with the Butcher and Covey. And then uh, earlier today on KMBR, I've worked at both of those stations with uh, John Lund, Mark Willard. And I keep saying this. Baseball's the one sport that can play every day. And what that would mean for us. Like, if the A's were playing tonight, how jacked up would you be? And I, and I, and, and I may be a rebel, I'm not someone that's adverse to change. I think this is going to be the time when people are going to look around and they're going to go, you know what? Why aren't the Giants and the A's in the same division and play 19 times? Why aren't the Angels and the Dodgers in the same division and play 19 times? The more I think about it, hey, why are the A's not playing the Dodgers and the Angels not playing the Giants and the Padres and the Mariners? It just makes sense. It would cut down the travel. We're going to, you know, coming out of this, we're all going to kind of be a little, you know, I'm not looking to hop on a plane anytime soon. I mean, but you want to cut travel, especially for the West Coast teams, which supposedly will be better for them? and help the players be safer? Getting on planes and flying to the East Coast? Nope. Getting on planes and flying to Texas? Nope. You think Giant fans get fired up for the Colorado Rockies? Nope. You want to put more interest in your games? It's, it's very obvious. I mean, think about the Mets and the Yankees. Why the heck are they not playing 19 times? Think about the Phillies and the Yankees and the Mets and the, and the Red Sox. Make the Rays play with the Braves, the Marlins, however you would put that group together. Make the game more regional and you'll develop these rivalries. All I know is when the... You know, we talk about A's attendance a lot, unfortunately. I don't like to... I think it's a tired topic but I know when the Giants come to town I know when the Dodgers come to town the crowds are bigger than when the Astros or the Rangers come to town it's just it's the way it is I mean that's the that that it would help the sport I'm not saying you know that's just for this season but I'm saying overall, to figure out realignment, Mark Gubazov is going to bring this up, as baseball wants to expand to 32 teams. Okay. Put a team in Portland, put a team in Nashville. And all of a sudden, you have a rivalry. For, for, for the first time, the Mariners could have a rivalry. Mariners don't have a rivalry with anybody. I think it would be marvelous for the game of baseball. Come on. You think the rivalry between the Giants and the A's now, what do you think it'd be like if you're playing nineteen times? Cubs White Sox nineteen times? I've been to a Cubs White Sox game with my dad years ago. They hate each other. They little because there's always there's always the one team that thinks, you know, we're better. There's always that team. You know, the Giants try and look down on the A's. The Yankees try and look down on the Mets. The Cubs with the White Sox. The Dodgers and the Angels. It would just make the game more exciting. Coming up next, we like to do this. This date in baseball history. And today, the commander has come up with some real gems. What happened on this day in baseball history? You'll find out next, right here on A's Cast Live.
3: Hi, this is Eduardo Perez from ESPN and MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM. And when I'm in the Bay Area, I make sure I listen to Ace Cast Live. Well,
1: thank you for that. We appreciate it. Uh, a little update uh, on the simulated season for the Oakland Athletics. The A's are now tied for first in the AL West, 30-22. The A's just beat the Angels in a walk-off in the 12th inning. Stephen Piscotty was the hero. Two for six, two dingers, three RBIs. Matt Olsen hit his 10th home run. A.J. Puck went five and a third, allowing one run, striking out nine. Oh, no. Liam, Cody, what's up? Liam Hendricks blew his third save. He's not going to be happy about that.
3: No, he's not, but he also he has a very serviceable like 211 ERA, so he's still performing very well in the ERA department and closing out games. But yes, he did below his third save, but the A's still got the win, which that's all that matters.
1: And the Astros are coming back, they're only a half game back. The A's and the Mariners, hard to believe. The Mariners tied for first place with the A's.
3: Do you want another update on something? No, I just saw I, I logged on the MLB.com for a second to look. They're doing the live stream uh, simulation of the 88 A's versus the 84 Detroit Tigers with um, uh, Scott Braun and John Morosi doing the play-by-play of it. And uh, the – well, they went to a video of Eck and uh, Kirk Gibson from the 88 World Series but in the game in the simulation. But the A's are in game seven against the 84 Tigers are looking to win and move on in the bracket. So they're, they're okay. winning, they're winning right now. There's a
1: travesty, by the way. They have the 85 Royals. Sweeping the 1972 A's.
3: Really? A sweep. Not, not, not winning in seven games, they swept them in four. Swept them. One of the great
1: teams of all time that has multiple Hall of Famers. Royals only have one. That's George Brett.
3: Uh, okay. I see why they showed the video because in the in the game right now, the game just ended. The A's move on. Uh, Eck got Kirk Gibson the fly out to end the game. That's why they were showing the video. The A's win 11-6. So the 88 A's move on in their bracket. And the 84, Detroit Tigers, who started 35-5, bye-bye. Kirk Gibson, Alan Trammell, and everyone involved on that team.
1: Lance Parrish, Lou Whitaker, Daryl Evans.
3: Sparky Anderson. They, they, that's one of the great teams of all time. The A scored eight runs, I think, the bottom of the sixth or seventh inning. So that's where they got the uh, the lead from. And uh, they went 11-6. That gets his revenge against Gibson. All right, we're going to have another phenomenal top ten
1: list coming up here. But on this day in baseball history, this is really hard to believe. 1934, Yankees third baseman Joe Sewell strikes out for the first time all season. The 40-year-old outfielder, only struck out three more times in 524 at-bats. That's crazy. So he had four strikeouts and 524 at-bats?
3: Yeah, it's crazy. Um, He he had a nice season. That was his last year, too, uh, in 1934. So knowing he struck out four times in an era where guys didn't really strike out as much as they do now because they're swinging for everything, Uh, that's impressive to do that. 1942, Ted Williams is sworn in the sworn
1: into the U.S. Navy, but will remain with the Red Sox until he is needed for active duty. Of course, Ted in his great career lost multiple years while being in the military. Nineteen forty-three, Tommy John was born, won 288 games, had the most no decisions of all time at 188. And, of course, the most famous surgery in sports. Mario Mendoza, 1982, has his final at-bat of his career, ending his career at 215. Of course, if you hit under 200, they call it the the Mendoza line. That's really not the one thing you want to be remembered for. No, not at all. (laughs) 1988. The Mets acquire Mike Piazza from the Marlins. Can you just close your eyes and picture the Hall of Famer in a Marlins uniform?
3: Well, he's there for Can't five do. games, so it'd be hard to remember if you weren't there for it.
1: A whopping five games. 2003, Artie Moreno buys the Angels and becomes only the third owner in franchise history. Of course, the great Gene Autry, Disney, and now Artie Moreno. 2004, the A's retire, number nine, and number nine is Reggie Jackson. You you know, you think back of when Reggie was young. That's the thing. It's like, I mean, most of you weren't born, I was just born. But Reggie had such great athleticism to go with that power. The Hall of Famer. And 2010, Matt Stairs ties an MLB record as he hits a home run for his 11th team.
3: Which tied who? Are you asking me? Todd Zeal? Yeah. Todd Zeal. Who was in the Piazza trade.
1: I, uh, I, I I talked to Edwin Jackson about this. And I know everybody wants to stay with one team your entire career. But when you get to play for all these different teams, I mean, I think it's cool to live in all these cities. I mean, you get to see all these different communities. And it's one thing when you travel around and you're there for three, four days, but it's another thing when you live there for half a year. So if you get the chance to live in the Bay area and Southern California and New York and Texas and Kansas city and Chicago, and you know, some of these guys, I, I, I think that's actually a badge of honor. And it, it means you're good. Cause in Edwin Jackson's case, he was getting traded to teams that were winning And they wanted him for the stretch. And also means you got longevity. So you stayed in the big leagues for years. Where are you on that, Cody? I think I obviously I'd like to have, you know, be Cal Ripken Jr. And play my entire career for the Baltimore Orioles and get a statue, right? Or Tony Gwynn or Kirby Pocket or one of those guys. Uh, But if it's not going to be like that. I'd have no problem playing all around, playing National League, American League, and playing all these different towns and get to experience all these great cities in our country.
3: I can go either way with it because I think you're right. I think going around to all the different teams in the case of Matt Stairs and Todd Zeal and Edwin Jackson and some of the other guys that traveled around a lot, Octavio Del Tal did a lot of that. Uh, I, I think that it's it's good because you get to experience all that, but it's also a sign of what, kind of, what, kind, what was your character like? Were you liked by all these teams? How come you're not sticking with more than you know, one team or two teams at a time, you're traveling around? So that's where I sit in the middle between both of it. I, I can see where you're coming from, where you think it's a badge of honor. I completely agree. To say you played in Seattle and LA and the Bay Area and New York, like that'd be awesome. But then again, what if you're a guy that played in Cleveland and Kansas City and Tampa and Florida and Texas? Like not you're not getting to see all the, the nice sights like we like you mentioned with the Bay Area and everything. So I like it. Hey hey hey, 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 hey! Don't throw Kansas City's a good town. Don't throw them on I'm, the I'm just Pittsburgh. I'm just only. I'm looking at you know mid market, the small market team, Milwaukee. Well, to so Milwaukee's supposed to be a great town too, but I'm just saying. I've like,
1: never been to Milwaukee. I've only been to Green Bay, but they're the nicest people. Yes. I I mean, look at Yelich. Yelich could go anywhere he wants, and he chose to stay and sign long term in Milwaukee. They're good people. I I think it's cool to be able to. Just, Play for the twins and be in Minnesota. I mean the only there's only two places I I would say, eh, I'm not sure I'd want to play there. Can you guess them?
3: I would say the Angels, because of your disdain for the rally monkey, but that's not going to be one of them.
1: No. Uh, hey, if you're telling me I can make millions of dollars and live in like Newport Beach and play baseball, yeah, that's not a bad deal.
3: Uh I would say Arlington, Texas. No. Oh. They got a brand new yard. Oh, now yeah, I'm just saying because of mean, the Texas, weather.
1: You're not going to be in the heat. Um, no, I don't. I, I'm not a big Texas fan overall. But if you're telling me I could have a fat pad somewhere around Arlington and playing a ra- brand new ballpark, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Uh, going to Dallas Cowboy games, I wouldn't have a problem.
3: Jerry's World, uh, Cincinnati.
1: Okay, then, then make it three. Yeah, I totally <laughs> forgot about. <Cincinnati. laughs> I, I know. I
3: know you're not a big Cincinnati fan. Uh, Never
1: need to go back
3: because this is tough. Because there's, you got to travel a lot with the Raiders, and you've done some traveling with the A's. Are they? Is is it a National League and American League? Or are they both in the same? One's National, one's American League. American League would be. Well, you said you like Minnesota, um, Baltimore, Tampa. Oh, okay. I'm not
1: playing in Tampa. No. Tampa. Tampa—it's not even Tampa. It's Saint Petersburg.
3: It's Florida. It's the other one. What oh, there's no way I'm playing for the Marlins. You know what? You can go, you can golf all the time down there.
1: I a Miami's fun. I love Miami. South Beach is legit. It's, it's everything they say it is. I'm not playing for the Marlins. I was at a Marlins game, where you can hear people's conversations in the stands.
3: That's not. That's not good. Nobody cares. That's not good.
1: No, no, no. You think you think you think our attendance is bad? Oh my god! I'm not. I'm not playing in Cincy. I'm not playing in Tampa, and I'm not playing in Miami. LSU. Everywhere else. I'm not a big Baltimore fan. Baltimore's got its issues, but still, it's a it's a traditional. I. I Toronto would be cool. Obviously, both New York's. There's three places I'd say. Yeah, I'm not signing there. I I'd even
3: play in Houston. I'd play in Houston. I wouldn't play in Cleveland. Because as a joke, uh, we that's... there's a joke we always say in Pittsburgh. Cleveland's where Pittsburgh goes to dump its trash.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> Shots fired.
3: That's a Brown Steelers thing. The, the Pirates and Indians really aren't a rivalry. We don't have a basketball team. And uh, what am I forgetting? Uh, the Penguins are better than the Columbus Blue Jackets. And that's not even that's not even Cleveland. No,
1: actually, uh, I I rolled around Cleveland a little bit. That's a uh, that's Glenn Kuyper's favorite spot because, you know, he grew up going there uh, to watch his brother play with the great Ray Fossey. And there's a um, there's a restaurant called Johnny's. And then right behind it is a little bar. Wait for it. It's called Little Johnny's. So I went there with Delair and Kipe, and we went over there. We were watching. It was actually the uh, NBA Finals was going on, and it's, it, it's a really cool spot. So if you're ever in Cleveland, you got to go to Little Johnny's, and the other thing you got to do when you're in Cleveland is you got to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I've been there. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is awesome. It's incredible. I mean, just the Elvis Presley, like you forget – how big Elvis Presley was. I mean, you, you 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 go through this kind of like timeline of music and you get to where Elvis was and like Elvis is he's the king. But I'm telling you right now, the rock and roll hall of fame, they now have a they have a whole thing uh, dedicated to Prince. I mean you could be in there all day long. But two things you gotta do in Cleveland Little Johnny's and the rock and roll hall of fame. The great David Feldman joins us here, our A's historian. Feldy, how are you?
4: I'm good. You want to hear about the greatest day I ever had in Cleveland?
1: I would love to hear it.
4: So it started, uh, the A's had an off day. Uh, It started with a trip to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Then the Indians were playing a day-night doubleheader against the Blue Jays. And we went to the first game of the doubleheader. And then the Cavs were playing a playoff game against the Celtics at night. And then we went to the playoff game. So we had that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, an Indians game, and a Cavs game with LeBron James all in one day.
1: Yeah, you know what? Cleveland gets a bad rap. I had a good time there.
4: Yeah, way underrated, Cleveland.
1: Then again, I have a good time everywhere. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) I said there's three places I won't play. If I was a free agent, I don't like, right. Cincinnati. I don't like Cincinnati, uh, St. Petersburg. And even though I love Miami, I wouldn't want to play there.
4: Yeah, that's fair. Uh, for me personally, uh, and I know it's a great tradition and the baseball history and everything is St. Louis. I hate St. Louis. I think that town, I think the clock hit 1965 and it just stuck there. It's just, there's, there's, I cannot stay in St. Louis.
1: Yeah, I've never been to St. Louis. It's one of the major towns that I've never been to.
4: You know, like a lot of cities, uh, some of the suburbs are nice, but the city itself, no, nah, nothing there.
1: And I, I, I say this all the time. I think Kansas, Kansas City's underrated. I, oh. Kansas City's a great museum town. The food is unbelievable. I'm a big Kansas City fan.
4: Yeah, I'm with you. You know, the Country Club Plaza, which is a lot, a lot like Walnut Creek. Really, just hanging out down there. Uh, the Negro League Hall of Fame, the Jazz Hall of Fame, the way the stadiums are together—Arrowhead, Royal Stadium—I I, I, just—I'm I, with you. And the barbecue is out of this world.
1: Yeah, and the World War world, world War One Museum is there, and it's rated as a, a, a top ten museum in our country. I, I yeah, and, and what's great is the Negro League Museum and the Jazz Museum—they're right next to each other, and it's fifteen dollars to see both of them. It's like what? <laughs>
4: And it's so cool, I tell you if, you, if you, for people who haven't been there, you get a chance to go to the Negro league museum it is It is spectacular. They did a wonderful job, and it it is just a it feels like a living history lesson when you're walking through there.
1: All righty, today we're going to do top ten starts to their Oakland athletics career.
4: Yeah, so we know there's a lot of guys who had you know big first games with the a s but we're kind of looking more who had an impact right away when they join the A's, whether it was as a rookie or as a journeyman, whatever your A's career, however it started, the guys who had the best and biggest impacts.
1: All righty. Your honorable mention.
4: So we have a few uh, going back to 1970 Mudcat Grant joined the A's. And by the all-star break is ERA with a minuscule 0.79 and took over as the closer, not Raleigh Fingers in 1970. Mudcat Grant, uh, Jason Isringhausen, in 99, after he was acquired from the Mets, he started A's career going 8-for-8 eight in eight the same. Carlos Gonzalez in 2008, his first nine hits in the majors were doubled, which is pretty spectacular. A.J. Griffin in 2012, I, uh, he started his career 6-0 with a 1.94 ERA. Um, here's a surprise for you. The longest hitting streak to start an A's career, Billy Butler had a 12-game hitting streak to start his career with the A's in 2015. Uh, didn't have many games that he hit after that, but still. Uh, <laughs> uh, Ryan Dole in 2015, in his first eight appearances, no runs, and only three hits. Uh, Ramon Laureano had a walk-off hit in his uh, first major league game for his first major league hit. And last year, Chris Herman became the first player in Oakland history to hit a grand slam in their first A's game. So, all good debuts, but not the impacts that some of these other guys had. All righty. Number 10. Number 10 is Mike Norris in 1975. You know, Mike Norris was the A's first-round pick in 73 out of San Francisco City College. Uh, Going into the 75 season, now the A's had lost Catfish Hunter. He joined the Yankees as a free agent, so they needed somebody for starting rotation. And 20-year-old Mike Norris wins the job out of spring training. So here you are joining the world champion A's and replacing a future Hall of Fame pitcher, and there's the reigning Cy Young Award winner, Catfish Hunter. And all Norris does in his first outing, his major league debut against the White Sox, a three-hit shutout. Still, the only Oakland pitcher and only the eighth in franchise history to throw a shutout in his major league debut. So that's impressive. But then his next start at Kansas City, he goes seven innings and allows only one hit and two 200 runs. So you think about that in his first two starts, 16 innings, four hits, no arm runs. Incredible start to his career. Unfortunately, in his third start, uh, he walks Rod Carew, feels something wrong with his arm and leaves the game. He sees him cut short, uh, ends up working his way back to make a release of late in September, but, Really, for Mike Norris, a tremendous beginning. Then it was injury after injury. You know, he made appearances all the way through 77, 78, 79. Finally, in 1980, as we know, it all comes together 22 and 9, 2.53, should have won the Cy Young. Yeah. Just a model of preservation to get back there to be as good as he was. And then the other part of the Mike Norris story that was to talked about, he's out of baseball from 84 to 89, at least, you know, major league sanctioned baseball. But somehow in 1990, he works his way back to the world champion Oakland A's for 14 appearances as a bullpen pitcher. Uh, that doesn't get talked about It That's amazing what Mike Norris did with his career, to come back after such a long layoff and join a world championship team.
1: All right, so number number 10 is Mike Norris. Number 9 is Derek Barton. Who you got in number 8?
4: Number eight, we have Ryan Cook in 2012. Wow. I think this guy gets a little forgotten how good he was, especially his his rookie year, but even his first two years. But that first year in 2012. And this is a guy the A's acquired from the Diamondbacks for for Cahill and Breslow, came over with Jared Parker and Colin Calgill. But his first 21 games with the A's, 23 innings, no runs, only four hits. He had 10 holds. He kind of works his way into the closer role. I mean, this is a fastball slider, extreme ground ball guy. Um, and all of a sudden, he's, he's the eighth inning guy. Um, you know, the A's bullpen looked like Balfour, Cook, and Fuentes was kind of the, the back end of the bullpen. But he's so good that it becomes a closer in June. It makes the all-star team. Brian Cook was your A's all-star in 2012. Um, you know, struggled in August. Balfour took over as a closer. But then Cook finished out the year by pitting, pitching shutout ball in 22 of his last 23 games. And this is a tremendous rookie year uh, that kind of gets forgotten. Um, he pitched very well the next year, too. And finally, you know, injury started to slow him down. Arm problems. in 2014. he's traded to the Red Sox. I pitched for the Mariners in 2018. He's kind training this year with the Marlins. But that first beginning, no runs, four hits in his first 21 games. That's an impressive beginning.
1: No doubt about it. Number seven.
4: Number seven is 1986 Moose Haas. You know, if you're an A's fan back in the mid 80s, right? So you there know, were past billy ball, um, teams trying to new ownership, new identity. The 86 squad, they felt good about themselves. They had a rookie in Jose Canseco. They had Dave Kingman coming back. They had brought in Joaquin Andujar. They had Jose Rio. They really felt like they had something. And right near the end of spring training, they acquired Moose Haas for four players from the Milwaukee Brewers. And Haas was a solid pitcher for Milwaukee. For 10 years, he was a solid pitcher. Uh, He pitched in the 82 World Series. He gets off to a phenomenal start with the A's. His first six starts, 6-0, 1.65 ERA. And this this is what the A's were hoping, his veteran starter. Just a tremendous beginning. Unfortunately, rotator cuff, which was the dreaded pitcher injury, especially in the 80s. Um, sidelines in the toss. Uh, made only two starts after June 5th. Wanted, you know, when he was out there, he was still effective. 7-2 and two for the season, but just a lost season. Comes back in May of 1987. Finally worked his way back, and again, he had nothing. Couldn't get anybody out in his career. ended. But that beginning, 6-0, 1.65 ERA, and hope in any team are really needed.
1: God, you know, there's so many stories like this where you have guys that get out to a start and you think they're going to be just great players and then they get injured and it's like, oh, you feel so bad for these guys that never really got a chance.
4: No, it's, you know, the guy who I was thinking about is Jared Parker, right? He, this guy was tremendous. He was going to be a star. And then the arm injuries just multiplied and multiplied and he kept trying to come back and he had setbacks. He was going to be—he was going to be an ace pitcher.
1: Number six.
4: Number six is another guy that had a great September. And I know there's the old adage: "Don't believe what you see in March. Don't believe what you see in September." Uh, but the A's believed what they saw in September, and that was Walt Weiss in 1987. Uh, Weiss was their first-round pick in the '85 draft, and he actually makes his major league debut in July of 1987 as a pinch runner for Mark McGuire in the ninth inning of a one-run game. With Reggie Jackson at bat, one run game, Reggie's up against Dan Plisak, and Walt Weiss gets picked off. That's his major league debut. But Walt comes back to the big club in September, takes over as the starting shortstop for the last eight games of the season, and hits 480, 12 for 25, four doubles. The A's love what they see. They know this is their shortstop for their foreseeable future, allows them to trade Alfredo Griffin, packaged to the Dodgers to get Bob Welch uh Walt uh, as we know wins the rookie of the year in 1988 but another guy whose injuries just shortened especially day's career right he couldn't just stay on the field kept having injury after injury uh, he ends up playing through the 2000 season becomes an all-star with Atlanta later in his career uh, but that beginning in that September I remember watching those games and seeing this This guy kind of had a toothpick bat and was able to just whip his wrist through and get base hits. Uh, And the A's and and I too, we saw this was the shortstop. And for that one year in 88, I mean, he was rookie of the year, mostly because of his defense. Uh, He's never going to be a huge high average hitter, but he was a really good player.
1: Yeah. Walt Weiss, uh, classic A, number five.
4: Number five is Jack Cust, (laughs) 2007. Oh, what a beginning for this guy. Now, you know, Cus was a longtime minor league legend, right, for his prodigious power numbers, but could never stick with the big clubs. Uh, he had cups of coffee with Arizona, Colorado, Baltimore, San Diego. Uh, and he's in the San Diego. He's playing a A for San Diego. When Mike Piazza, the A's, D.H., gets hurt, when Mike Lowell, the Red Sox, rolls over his shoulder, uh will play at third base at Fenway Park. The A's purchase Jack Cus from the Padres. They needed a DH, and they bring in Jack Cuss, debuts at Tampa with a homer, and then his first seven games with the A's, 346, six homers, 14 runs batted in, caps off this stretch with a walk-off three-run homer on Mother's Day versus the Indians. The legend of Jack Cuss is for real. And this, I mean, the Coliseum crowd went nuts for this guy. Right? Because you've heard about it. Everybody had heard of it, this name, this minor league guy. He was the Crash Davis of the day. And they come up and, and produce like that. You know, he had a good year, finished with 26 homers. 20, 2008, he's 33 homers. 2009, 25 homers. I mean, he was a you know, true three outcome guy home run, strikeout, walk. Uh, set an A's record for strikeouts in 2008 with 197. But that beginning, I mean, the Chronicle had him flashed on the front page, not the front page of the sports section, front page of the paper. He was the talk of baseball that first week.
1: And, you know, it's crazy to look back and think about it. But Bob Guerin said to us in the media, Jack Cust is our best player. And it wasn't long after that that Jack Cust went to the Mariners Played in only like sixty-one games, and then never played in the big leagues
4: again. Yeah, I, he was a good guy, right? He was a fun guy to be around. He's kind of what you would think about of a if you were playing in a softball league. Kind of had that Matt Stairs quality to him. Uh, he just wanted to hit and rake. And he was always worried about hitting. Not a great, not a great fielder at all. Um, I just, I just always, I for what that A's team needed for that power surge and to have a guy, I mean, always heard the legends of Jack Cusk and to come up and produce like that. It was quite a week. Number four. This one, we're going way back to 1977. Uh, This is Dick Allen. Uh, Dick Allen was a seven time all-star with the Phillies, Cardinals, Dodgers, and White Sox. He won the rookie of the year in 64. He's the AL MVP in 1972 for the White Sox. Uh, kind of a controversial figure right he had a lot of outspoken things that he that he talked about Uh, one of his most famous quotes uh was about artificial turf he said if a horse won't eat it i don't want to play on it uh he just he was he was he was strong in his convictions but the A's needed a first baseman in 1977 i mean this was after the 76 year where everybody left right tennis was gone don baylor ron Fairley, billy williams they're all gone. I need a first baseman. Charlie Finley gets Dick Allen. Um, first off, Dick Allen wears number 60 with the A's. And instead of having his last name, Allen, on the back of his jersey, he has Wampum, which was the town he was born in and the high school he attended. All right, we don't see this in A's history. You don't see guys without their last name. I mean, Charlie wanted guys to wear their uh, nicknames. Uh, Vita wore Vita on the back of his jersey for a little bit, but Wampum. On the back of, of Dick Allen's jersey. Um, and in his contract that he signs with Finley, he has a clause that he doesn't have to be the DH, never has to DH. He wants to play first base. Nobody told A's manager Jack McKean about this clause. And in the third game of the season, he has him listed at DH. Allen refuses to play because he's the DH. He's actually on the lineup card, refused to play. They had to pinch hit for him in his first at bat. But that's the only thing that went wrong in his first month with the A's. In his first 19 games, he hits 339 with four homers, 20 runs batted in. This was the Dick, this was the slugging Dick Allen that won the MVP in '72. Fortunately, it all comes crashing down. Uh, next 35 games, he hits only 188, only one homer. He's got bad shoulder issues, not getting along with his teammates at all. To the point where he calls his teammates a bunch of crybabies and refuses to shake anybody's hand after a home run. And then it comes to a head June 20th at Chicago, at the White Sox. In the middle of the game, he leaves the bench, goes to the clubhouse to take a shower. And you know, Charlie Finley only went to A's games in Chicago. And he's there that, that game, goes in the clubhouse, sees Dick Allen taking a shower in the middle of the game and suspends him and then sends him off. And that was the end of Dick Allen. But the first nineteen games, they thought they had that that superstar player. Fortunately, it all came crashing down.
1: Oh, that's that's so A's of the seventies, right there. Uh, number three,
4: <laughs> number three. I know Cody's excited about this one. That's Ben Grieve. You know, Ben Grieve, nineteen ninety-seven. Uh, he needs a second overall pick in the ninety-four draft. Paul Wilson went number one. And looking back in the ninety-four draft, it wasn't a it wasn't a spectacular draft. Probably the best player was Nomar Garcia-Para, who went number 12. But uh, Greg Greve was a legitimate prospect, right? Number two in the in the draft, uh, had a high school. Great pedigree with Tom Greve as his dad. Uh, and finally in 97, between AA and AAA, he hits 350. 350 with 31 homers and 136 runs batted in in only 127 games. So the A's have to call him up. He makes his major league debut September 3rd versus the Giants batting third in front of a huge crowd of the Coliseum goes 3 for 4 with three doubles and five runs batted in. He is the only player in major league history to have three extra base hits and five RBI in their major league debut. Only player in major league history. Three extra base hits, five RBI in major league debut. And he doesn't stop. First three games, he's seven for 15. After his first seven games, he's hitting 406. Uh, you know, for the month of September, he's 312. And ben Greaves legitimate, and he wins Rookie of the Year in 1998. 1999, he has 28 homers, uh, 27 homers in 2000 with 104 RBI. He gets a bad rap. You know, a lot of people remember Ben Greaves as a terrible throwing outfielder, bad body language, guy who hits into a lot of double plays. But when you add it all up, he has the sixth highest OPS in Oakland history. Sixth highest. He's ahead of Ricky. He's ahead of Eric Chavez. He's ahead of Miguel Tejada for career OPS. Uh, Bad rap for a guy who actually played really, really well for the A's as an offensive player. And that beginning, that's untouched to have a game like that to start and then a follow through. Number two. Number two is the rage. Mitchell Page in 1977. And he's acquired from the Pirates in a nine-player deal in March of 77. Uh, takes over as a starting left fielder for the departed Joe Rudy. And all he does in his first eight games is hit 500, 16 for 32, three homers, four doubles, 15 runs batted in. He is still the only player in Major League history with 15 RBIs in his first eight career games. Only player has done that. Uh, he had a tremendous year. I mean, he was hitting 382 as late as May 9th. And he ends the year at .307 with 21 homers. He had 42 stolen bases, 26 straight to start his career, which, which at the time was an American League record. Uh, he ends up finishing second in the rookie of the year to Eddie Murray. When you look back at that year, I mean, Page had a higher average, higher on base, higher slugging, more steals, scored more runs. The only reason Eddie Murray wins the Rookie of the Year is because he had more homers than RBI. And those were, you know, the fancy numbers that anybody cared about. If you go back and look at it now, Mitchell Page's WAR was 6.1. Eddie Murray was 3.2. So twice as good in a way than Eddie Murray. Now, Eddie Murray obviously went to the Hall of Fame and Mitchell Page did not. But for that year, Mitchell Page was unbelievable. And he played at the A's until 83. He had a couple more good years, but that was definitely his best year. But nobody has had a start like that. 15 runs batted in in their first eight games.
1: Pretty darn good.
4: And we're down to number one. Number one, Brad Ziegler in 2008. Still holds the major league record for 39 scoreless innings to begin their career. I mean, this is a guy. Five years in the minors, had to recover from a head injury. Was converted to a reliever in 2007. They taught him to drop down. Uh, finally makes it to the big leagues in 2008 and doesn't allow a run in his first 29 appearances. 39 consecutive scoreless innings, a major league record. And he has a great 2008. He ends the year as actually the closer. Um, 1.06 ERA, 11 saves at that point. Houston Street, Bob Guerin not getting along very well. Ziegler takes over as a closer. He finishes eighth in Rookie of the Year. And he actually goes on to have a very good major league career, 11 years, over 100 saves. But to start a career with 39 consecutive scoreless innings, we've never seen that before. I don't know if we're going to see it again.
1: Oh, what a list. Break it down.
4: Give me your top 10. So top 10, start to an athletics career. Number 10, Mike Norris in 75. Number nine, Derek Barton in 2007. Number eight, Ryan Cook in 2012. Luce Haas, 1986. Walt Weiss, 1987. Jack Cust, 2007. Dick Allen, 1977. Number three, Ben Greve, 1997. Number two, Mitchell Page, 1977. And our number one, Brad Ziegler in 2008.
1: You know, I remember covering, they had a party for Ben Grieve and a and a, and a, and a, uh, a gathering of the media. And it was at that Italian restaurant in North Beach across from the park. And it had been there forever. And then after that, it closed down and became like Joe DiMaggio Steakhouse. Were you there? And do you remember what, what, what Italian restaurant that was?
4: I, I got, you know what? I remember the restaurant. I was It was like an El Pernaio. Um I can't quite remember. I remember because I know the location. I know what you're talking about. I believe I was there for the Ben Green celebration. Um, yeah, what was the original name of that place? I remember when it became Joe DiMaggio's Steakhouse, too. That didn't last too long.
1: Yeah, it was there. It had been there forever. I remember when it, I guess they had a fire and they just didn't reopen. Because I remember it was one of those like historic Italian restaurants in North Beach, and I just, I can never remember. By the way. I did. I was fooled. I thought I, I was like everybody else. I thought Ben Grieve was going to be a superstar.
4: You know, and he was so good. He really was an, as an offensive player. He was so good for those first few seasons. But when he got traded to Tampa and Lou Pinnell is the manager, and I think Lou just – he could not handle Ben's body language for one. I think he was just all over him, and he just beat him down. And, you know, and I really liked Ben. I got to know him pretty well. He definitely his focus wasn't baseball. He had other things that he enjoyed. Uh, he ended up, you know, getting married and having kids. I remember talking to his dad about what Ben's doing now, and he just said Ben loves being a dad. Uh, ben also loved his fantasy football, loved fantasy football. Just I, I always thought if, maybe if he didn't go to Tampa and had to deal with Lou Pinella, maybe his career would have lasted longer or been better. But I think he gets a short shift when it comes to his A's career because. He really put up some huge offensive numbers for the A's.
1: Great stuff, as always. We appreciate it. By the way, before you get out of here, obviously these top 10s are deep dives for you, but what else are you doing in your spare time that you're taking, uh, uh, you're doing a deep dive into, I don't know, with Netflix, a book, games, whatever?
4: Yeah, a lot of Netflix, a lot of Netflix series, you know, Shit's Creek, Ozark. Um, watch a lot of the classic baseball games. Uh, just today they had uh, MLB Network had the Phillies and the Royals from 1980 on, and it's fun to watch that. Uh, just trying to get through each day. It's You know, you read the news, and you, everything seems positive and moving forward, and you know, Tampa Bay Rays are going to start their workouts at the Trop next week. Uh, and you just keep your fingers crossed that so we can say stay safe and healthy and maybe get baseball on the field.
1: All right, buddy. We'll talk to you probably next week.
4: All right. Thanks, Tony.
1: Great. David Feldman, our ace historian. That was a fun list. Derek Barton.
3: Jack T-Barton. Cust, your favorite player who was on there.
1: All right, coming up next, all we talk about is how this is affecting big league baseball. But it's affecting all baseball, including college baseball and college athletics. Coming up next, the Hall of Famer my old head coach, Sam Perraro at San Jose State. He's going to join us next, right here on A's Cast Live.
4: Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And
1: the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano
3: firing a strike all the way on the line.
1: And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for Ace baseball. Alright, let's get Coach P on the line. Is This is the reason we do most of our interviews taped because the way our millennial technology works, you have to hear the phone call. And sometimes, you know, people don't pick up. Then all of a sudden you're getting their voicemail and then you get to hear that live. So we like to take that out sometimes, but uh, we're uh, calling my whole head coach. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be. He's the one that brought me to the Bay Area, gave me an opportunity and it's why I'm still hello, in the Bay Area. Coach Perraro, welcome to A's Cast Live once again. How are you?
5: Chris, great to hear your voice. Uh, I, uh, you know, I've listened to your show uh, on several occasions. You have a pretty good fan base with some of my friends. They, they listen to you on a regular basis. So I, like, I want to tell you that.
1: He was the head coach at San Jose State from 1987 to 2002. And then, what was it, 04 back to 2012. What a career. A four-time Whack Coach of the Year. He got San Jose State into the College World Series. His overall record was 805 wins, 633 losses, and six ties. That's a winning percentage of 560. I think that's pretty good, Coach.
5: Well, you know, Chris, we'd always want a little bit higher. Um, You know, uh, there's probably about 100 wins in there, or excuse me, 100 losses, which, uh, you know, I'd like to have those games back. I think we could have got them on our side. But, you know, at the same time, I was very, very happy and pleased and proud of the time I spent at San Jose State.
1: So, Coach, uh, San Jose State reached out to me, and because obviously there wasn't going to be a regular graduation, so they went to San Jose State graduates and they pieced together this nice little piece for all of the graduates. Did you ever think while I was playing for you that in the future, the actual university would reach out to me to be a part of the graduation?
5: Well, you know, that that's a that's a tr- tricky question, Chris. I mean uh, I mean, uh, let's put it this way. Uh, you you always were very intelligent. Uh, you you spoke your mind. Uh, you had uh you had opinions, uh but more importantly, you believed in what uh you know, you were you were saying. And so to be honest with you, I'm not surprised at the success you've had because uh the qualities that you had back in college are manifesting themselves now.
1: You know, coach, I'm really worried about college sports. And as I said before, bringing you on, I, I said, you know, we're we're just thinking about the big league level. I, I, I doubt we're going to have a minor league season. I, I think of all the, all the kids who lost their senior year and they're not going to get it back because the majority of people do not go, you know, they don't go pro. Your senior year means so much to you. We're already hearing about baseball teams and other sports, the lower sports, that universities are just canceling them altogether. How worried are you for college sports?
5: Well, you know, I, I look at it this way. Uh, every day is a little bit different. Uh, you're seeing things develop. Uh, I was disappointed people canceled as early as they did. Uh, I, I was hoping that they'd you know leave open a array of hope. Uh, so the athletes would would certainly stay motivated and and not be discouraged and depressed because you know that's one of the things that are going on right now is student athletes um, you know they get depressed and and you want some hope I think I think they're going to do whatever they can do to play and uh, certainly we all know this Chris college football is very very important to all the Division one programs especially the ones that um, you know, let's look at San Jose State, for example. Uh, they got a big game with Penn State. I think they're getting two million dollars for that game. Um, they need that. So you know they're gonna schools are gonna do whatever they can do to get the games in. Hopefully the TV money's decent, whether there's a you know fans there or not. I think we're gonna see football. I also think it's gonna be a later start in in some parts of the country
1: what do you do with seniors and cuz cuz you're going to you have a budget right you know all about budgets and if, ste- if seniors are going to stay and then now you're bringing incoming freshmen how does that work and especially with your your budget if it's a tight budget
5: well you know it, and this is i think happened different schools are handling it a little bit different chris uh, as you know, that the seniors are welcome to come back uh, for their senior year. Some are, some are not, some are actually moving on. Um, but at the same time, um, some schools are not honoring the scholarship that they had. Um, uh, some definitely are. Uh, I know that if I, I try to put myself in that situation, and I, I certainly would, would try to encourage the senior to stay unless he had a better opportunity Uh, also would make sure he's going to use that time to graduate, maybe even get into grad school. If that was an option. So I think you have to take care of the seniors. Um, You know, there's going to be a little bit of a log jam in there. There's no doubt about that. There's going to be a log jam. Should the NC two a make an adjustment with the scholarships? I think they should, you know, as you know, Chris baseball, uh, 11.7. Um, you know, for 35 people, uh, that's that's not a good formula right there. I would like the A to have maybe a one- or two-year adjustment to that where they increase the scholarships uh, perhaps to 14 and uh, allow for, you know, the seniors to make sure they're taken care of.
1: And then I think about the draft. So it's only going to be five rounds, and then after that, teams can – they, they can sign as many guys as they want and they you only get like thirty thousand something like that if you were if you were a senior or a junior and you didn't go in the top five rounds would you continue uh to go back to like san jose state instead of signing for like twenty seven
5: thousand dollars well, you know that's a tough question chris because i think you know you're gonna get different answers from different people i think if you Uh, were dead set on playing professional baseball, and the opportunity presented itself, I could see a young man, you know, taking the opportunity, okay? On the other hand, you might have someone who looks at the situation and says, you know, I'm pretty close to graduating. Uh, I can get this knocked out, get that under my belt. Plus, we got a pretty good team coming back, um and I, I would like to maybe play on a team that's gonna have some post uh postseason potential and I might get some looks uh anyway. So I think it's an individual thing, but you're certainly gonna have players that if they have the opportunity and it's been their dream, uh they'll take that chance.
1: You know, you want a won a couple championships at Mission Junior College and I'm thinking about these high school seniors, coach, who they didn't really have a, a senior year. And unless you were like dominant as a junior, uh, you know, you usually made your hay as a senior because you're grown into your body. You're now stronger than ever. You as colleges get to see these guys as seniors. And if a lot of these guys didn't get that chance to have a look, do you think a lot of guys are going to end up going to
5: junior? You know, in the Bay Area, for example, there were was a several, I felt, Division one guys, not just borderline. By the way, top notch Division one players that were going to be drafted high as well, and still may get drafted in the top five rounds. Um, then there's that next level where these are guys that probably are lower scholarship type players, probably possible drafts in the teens or maybe even the twenties. Uh, you know, they're they're going to most likely you know, look at the JCs as an option because the four-year schools probably didn't get enough look at them. So they're, you know, they're reluctant to give them a spot, you know, say, yeah, you know, we'll guarantee you a spot on a roster. So I do think the junior colleges are going to benefit from this and they're going to get some players that normally they do not get Chris before you were born, Chris, I'm going to tell you this right now, back in the, uh, well, you might've been born in in, in the late seventies, early eighties, but J.C. had two drafts. you know, they had a January draft, and of course they had the June draft. Some of your better high school players went to JC. anyway. Some of them passed on Division One scholarships because you know, the competition at J.C. was tremendous. Um, and uh, they, they went ahead and, and took a chance to get drafted in January, and if they didn't get drafted in January, they got drafted in uh, June they didn't get drafted, then they had a chance maybe to get a division one scholarship.
1: You know, you got the great record. You got a, a lot of great accomplishments, but, but to me, the number one thing that you did is you graduated your players. Pretty much everybody that played for you got a degree. And I know that means a lot to you.
5: Well, if you look at your job, when you go into a situation like that, Chris, um, in all honesty, that is your number one job. Now, let's put it this way. I, I, the players are the ones that did all the work. They're the ones that got to, did what they had to do. What I tried to do was just encourage them, present a – give them, a, you know, an environment uh, which they could do it. Um, you know, nobody likes study hall. You didn't like study hall. Um, but we still had to do it. When you were on road trips, you didn't like studying. But, you know, these were things that we felt we needed to do to keep you on board during the season. But, you know, that is the most important thing. Um, and, of course, you know, you, you, you want to win. You want to teach guys how to be successful. Um, those were all part of the educational process for me. But, Chris, you know, you hit it on the head. I was very, very uh, proud when I saw guys graduate at the rate they did. And if they did it, especially within a five-year window.
1: Coach, you are the best. I love you. Thank you so much for everything you've done for me and my life. And you be safe. And once we get this thing going again, we'll have you on, uh, hopefully talking a little bit about Major League Baseball.
5: Chris, thank you for having me on. And best wishes to you and your family. And keep on doing a great job. My, my uh, You have an audience more than you think. Thank you. Thanks, Coach.
1: Pretty good. He's always solid. You know what's funny too? Like, you start finding yourself repeating some of the things that he would say to us. You know, I've told this story before about he would always tell us, Hey, it takes a long time to develop a great reputation, but it only takes one screw up to ruin it all. And it's true. I mean, he told us a lot. I mean, your your coach is like a father figure. You're away from home for the first time. You know, my parents weren't able to come to all the games. They only got to come to select games. Let me tell you something. So we were in the Big West, okay, which was the king of baseball. You know, you have Fullerton, Long Beach. Every single year, we were sending two teams to the College World Series. Fresno State, and then there's UNLV. And Pacific, Santa Barbara, us—I don't know who I'm leaving out, but let me tell you, we would, we would, everybody would know somebody on one of the teams, right? And one year, Long Beach State—I mean, Long Beach State and Fullerton—I mean, we're talking about Jason Giambi and Phil Nevin, and I played against Mark Katze, arguably the greatest college baseball team of all time in 1995. Catsay was incredible. He, He's—you could make a case he's the greatest college baseball player. The dude's hitting four hundred, and then comes in the ninth inning and blows ninety-six as the closer. He was the Golden Spikes Player of the Year. But just to, so my roommate went to Long Beach Junior College, and so he played with a bunch of guys that were on Long Beach State's team, and we went to their hotel to pick him up. And there was this old big sports bar called San Jose Live. And at one point you look around, it's Saturday night. We already played them on Friday. It's Saturday night. We got a game tomorrow. I'm looking around going, don't you guys have curfew? Like, what are you guys still doing here? They didn't have curfew. You think they cared about school? Those guys went to Long Beach and Fullerton to do one thing. Get drafted. school? You think these guys care about school? I mean, I don't know how they were eligible, but these guys didn't go to school. These guys, can you imagine that? You've got 18, 19, 20, 21, maybe 22 young men who are nuts and you're not having curfew? I I was just like, do you know how dangerous that is? One guy screws up, next thing you know, lawsuit, whatever it would do to your baseball program. I mean, it, it's it's the sad thing about college sports, and this is where I always disagree with people, because usually the people who say athletes in college shouldn't be paid, they get their scholarships, and that that should be good enough. And I'll always tell you this, why I disagree with that. I mean, baseball shouldn't be, but I'm talking about football, basketball. These sports make so much money. But here's the thing about saying they have a scholarship. You're not trying to graduate them. A lot of these football players, a lot of these basketball players, they're not trying to graduate them. They're just trying to keep them eligible. And all they care about them is when they're there and can play for them. And the minute that I can't throw a touchdown, score a touchdown, hit a three-pointer, you don't care about me. Because now you got new guys to care about. I don't need to graduate you. I just need to keep you eligible. So when you say, oh, well, they get their scholarships, the scholarship is worthless because they're not, most of these guys are not doing what they can to to, to get a degree. How many guys in the NFL do you think have a degree? I, I don't know this number. I mean, I'm spitballing right here. But what would you think the percentage, like the guys I know who graduate for the most part, quarterbacks and offensive linemen? Cause a lot of your offensive linemen are really four year guys. And you're drafting them, you know, later in the draft. And that's why you start to see, you know, linemen from Iowa and it's like Big Ten schools and SEC schools, you know, these big linemen that have played four years at Michigan or Ohio State, a lot of those guys have degrees. Everybody else, it's kind of a flip of coin. I would be so interested to say, okay, there's X amount of guys in the NFL. How many? What's the percentage do you think ha, ha, they have a degree? Cody, what do you, what do you think it'd be?
3: Well, you got to figure a lot of the skill players, like running backs and wide receivers all, and tight ends all come – how many seniors you see as a running back or wide receiver anymore, or even defensive backs, is because a lot of those guys are coming out of college early. I would put the number this is just a complete I you know just spitballing, but I'd put it under 50%. Now some guys do go back after they're done playing to get their degree, which is great. Um, but I would say probably under fifty if you're if that's including quarterbacks and linemen, because you know a lot of guys are getting their like, I know a guy for sure. I went to high school with Terrell Pryor. I'm pretty sure he didn't get his degree at Ohio State. No. Uh, spoilers. Just throw no. it out there. I used to see Terrell when I was in high school. I was a senior, he was a junior. I would walk around, I would go to the bathroom, you know, I get the the hall pass or whatever it was, to go use the the lavatories at the uh, at school. I would see Terrell walking down the hallway and he'd be on his cell phone. And our principal would walk up to him and she'd say, Terrell, what are you doing? And she'd put her arm around him and be like – she'd be like, who, who are you talking to? Like all nights, like trying to figure out who – if he's talking to – I'm like, well, like a college or whatnot. I'm thinking like, you got to be kidding me. The kid's not even in class right now. And I get it. Like he, he he helped us to a state title the year after I graduated. We lost in the state title game the, the year I was a senior. We won the, the state title in basketball because of him. But, yeah, I, I don't think a lot – some of these guys are going to school. You're right. They're not going to school to get a, a degree –
1: and that, right, the story you you told right there tells you everything you need to know about the problem with athletes is they get told at a very early age, you're special. The rules don't apply to you. And that that's a bad, and you wonder why some of these guys are bad guys and get in trouble and are tone deaf because they've had their butts kissed since they were especially like, I've always thought about like basketball players because basketball players, you know, you're not normal. Most people aren't six eight, and you're six eight in high school, and you've got Duke and Carolina and UCLA and all these people coming after you, and your whole life you've been different, and everybody's told you how great you are. Then you go to college, and they're feeding you money underneath the table, and I mean, just it's just these guys. They don't learn – it's not a healthy environment to grow up in. I don't think it is. And that's – you know, hopefully guys don't get in trouble once they get older. But, man, and, and baseball. You mean, th- think about some of these baseball players. You're getting your behind kissed, and then next thing you know, you're drafted in the first round in high school, and you're given a ton of money. You're 18 years old, and you have a ton of money. I mean, that's – I don't know what that's like, but the next thing you know, you got all these hangers-ons who are trying to take your money from you. It's a weird environment, man. And I'm worried for – I am worried for college sports. I mean, what was it? Bowling Green's already canceled their baseball program. Just said it's gone. It's not coming back.
3: Yeah, that was a couple weeks ago. And I just did a Google search quickly to see if if anyone had a number. And the first Google search that came out, I said, how many players in the NFL have a degree? And it said this data is as of 2017 – I was really close. It says 46% of players have at least a bachelor's degree. That was in 2017, so 3 years ago. So, I was right under 50% of, you know, NFL athletes that's including that's encompassing every position, including kick place kickers and punters, have uh under four, uh, about 46% have a have a degree. Uh,
1: the percentage in baseball of guys who have their degrees. Now, I do know there's a lot of guys especially in the minor leagues who will go back to school in the offseason. And now it's so different because you can do you can do you can do college online. The attack I'll never forget with the Sabre Dr. Nick Pertwee was our kicker. And he was a professor in the Texas State school system. And I remember he's like, God, it's gonna be a long night. I got finals. I'm like, wait a minute. You have finals. you got to grade all these papers. And you're in San Jose, and the kids are in Texas. <laughs> you know, hey, California State School system, no one's going on campus in the fall. It's all going to be online. I, I can't imagine. Like, my generation, we we had to be on campus. But now you don't. And I don't even know, like, when my kids, four years from now, are going to look to go to college, what is that going to look like? We have no clue. Is everything from here on out going to be, I mean, hopefully not, but is everything going to be through our computers? Like right now, I'm looking at Cody. We don't see each other anymore, unless I ride my bike over for a little vino. We didn't do Wine Wednesday this week. We did Wine Tuesday.
3: Oh, I know. It's weird. That that was Tuesday. Yeah, you had wine. Yeah. I had White Claw. So we couldn't do White Claw Wine Wednesday. So we'll have to do that sometime soon.
1: Are you? Are, did you replenish at the winery next to your house?
3: Yeah, I went over and got another bottle of the uh, Grenache Blanc. It's uh, very good.
1: All right. We're on the NL West. I mean, the AL West. And the Angels. The Angels, to me just got themselves into the race because of this short season. I think a long season would have exposed them, but a shortened season I, I, think, I think they got a shot. I think if you're halfway decent, you got a shot, even though last year they stunk at 72 and 90. But now you're going to get, remember, Shohei Otani was not going to start the season on time. Well, now he is. And he's got ace-like stuff. And they've got an offense that's gonna score a lot of runs. When you add Rendon, pool holes can still hurt you. Otani's a monster. And Mike Trout's an all-time great. This is gonna be this this is gonna get real interesting. Coming up next, we always love having him on. Mark Gubuza will join us next. Right here. He's a A's, excuse me, Angels television announcer, former World Series champion and all-star with the Royals, but now working for the Halos, one of the friends of the program will join us next, right here on A's Cast Live.
4: Hi, this is Ramon
1: Laureano. And the
3: throw is gonna be in time at the
1: You're listening to AceCast, your 24-7 destination for Ace Baseball. Jim Bolton, who we recently had on the the program from The Athletic, has some position rankings. Where do the A's fit? I don't think we're going to totally agree with Jim. We'll do that in just a little bit. But here is my conversation. With a World Series champion, an all-star, really great guy, Mark Gubazaw of the Angels. Well, he's one of our favorites to talk to throughout the year. Loved watching him pitch back in the day. And his 85 Royals just beat the 1972 A's. We got a lot to get into. We're going to talk some Angel baseball as we're breaking down every single team. The great Mark Gubazaw joins us once again. Always wonderful to have you here on A's Cast Live.
6: Chris, thanks, man. It's, it's pretty cool. You know, that, that 72 team, I remember, uh, you know, playing in the streets of back in Philly and, and playing wiffle ball. And it was like, damn, that, those teams and, and the Orioles and the Reds and everything else. So I'm thinking, oh, i pretty shocked that we were able to win that, that game against the 72 A's because that team was incredible.
1: Well, first off, most importantly, congratulations to you and your family and your daughter. We saw on Twitter that your daughter graduated from Kansas.
6: Yeah, she, I mean, she absolutely loved it out there. She's the one, I mean, I have three kids, and the two older ones were born out there in in Kansas City and in Kansas, and she was born out here in LA, and and she, for whatever reason, decided she wanted to go there, and we went there in, a number of different times, and what a what a great time it was for her out there in Lawrence, Kansas, and cool little community. Uh, we went to a bunch of football games, even though they're not a real good football program, at least not yet. Les Miles is now the head coach, so that'll I'm sure that'll turn around the basketball program. And she went to a bunch of baseball games and, and this her, her core little group of girls that she hung out with. It's a sorority she belonged to. And she had so much fun and, and it's so hard for her to, to you know, especially under these circumstances that, that it, it was done and it wasn't like the in normal hoopla you, you would have for a graduation. But uh, overall she had a blast and she's, she's got the biggest smile on her face that she was able to graduate from there.
1: How nice is it to uh, not have to write the checks anymore?
6: Yeah. <laughs> I, you always know, joke around with her, the exact same thing today. And she goes, Well, Dad, I'm going to get my master's <laughs> and uh, eventually work my way to USC. I'm like, Oh, that's that's even better. <laughs> so, I said, oh, I can't wait. I guess I got to keep working for a couple more years. Just when I think I could go play golf every day, I, said, I guess I can't.
1: You know, I think about that 1985 is, you know, I, I grew up, George Brett was my favorite player. I watched a lot of you guys. I would travel up to uh, Anaheim to watch you guys play. That team, even though the Royals have won a recent World Series and they played in back-to-back World Series, there's just always going to be something about your guys' team that was just so special and that, that, you know, Royals fans and people in that area will always remember that season, what a special season it was.
6: Yeah, finally getting over the hump after all those years, playing the Yankees in the playoffs finally getting to the World Series in 80 against the Phillies and losing that one. And, you know, just weren't able to, you know, a lot of talent. And I I think if you look back from all the great teams that the Royals had from the 70s and in the 80s and eventually in 85 and even 84, for that matter, when we played the, uh, in my opinion, one of the greatest teams I've ever seen was the Tigers in 84, that uh, there was probably more talented Royal teams, but. We had a real good combination of young guys, especially on the pitching staff, and, and veterans on the on the position player, and we all fed off each other. I think the veterans like the Hal McCray's and the Willie Wilsons and George Bretts and, and Frank Whites, they just and, and Jim Sunbergs, I think they just they were rejuvenated just being around us knuckleheads. And we were just a bunch of young guys. Saves myself, Danny Jackson, you know, Bud Black really was the veteran of our staff, and he hadn't had a lot of playing time either, as far as Service time and Charlie Leibrandt, same thing. So we were always messing around, having a good time, and I think that kept them focused. We had a bunch of really good role players on that on that team that knew their, you know, knew they were playing once or twice a week, maybe, but they always felt they were going to get a key at bat or maybe make a good defensive play. I mean, we were down by oh, what seven and a half games that year in the All Star break. We opened up in New York, got crushed in like a five game sweep because we had a couple makeup games. And, you know, we had to play the, the Angels, who that year ended up one game behind us. And we played them eight times in the middle of September, and we won seven of eight. So if we go five and eight against them, they're to, they win the division. Or six and eight, we have a playoff against them. So we knew we had to play. And, and that Angel team, when you look at it, they had so many star players on there. But there was something about our team that year that, once we got it on a roll, which was typical for the Royals in August, September, that uh, we were just going to do something special.
1: You know, a lot of our younger audience, so they won't remember this, but the battles that the Royals would lose in the 70s and into the 80s, you know, especially against the Yankees. But here was this, you know, small market team up against the big boy. And there are some classic, I mean, absolute classic games. But for years, the Royals just couldn't get over the hump.
6: Yeah, you remember that walk-off of Chris Shambliss running around the bases yeah. in, in New York? And, it, you know, and it, at one point, there were the Kansas City A's. And, you know, there was a number of – that was like a, a Yankees franchise. Basically, a lot of guys from the Yankees that came through there and played there, including I think even Dick Howser did at one point. I, my first year, we got – you know, I make the team in '84. And you know, and I remember George Brett coming in to talk to us. This is not with the coaches in there. He goes, you know what? I don't care if we lose every game this year, as long as we beat. And then you got some other words to it, the Yankees. And that's all we cared about was beating the Yankees. There was such a hate for them. And then you go in even to you know the Pine Tar Game in '83 with Billy Martin and, and the Yankees. So there was always some disdain between the Royals and the Yankees. And even to the you know, even to this day, there's still a core group of can see Royal fans when the Yankees come to town. I know a lot of people still the feel the same way because they're the Yankees. But there's a lot of dislike for that franchise just because of the battles and how many times they broke Royal fans' hearts over the years. I mean, it was a, a lot of years where those Royal teams were so good, but somehow the Yankees were able to beat them every time in the postseason.
1: Yeah, definitely a special group and special players. And, of course, you got the most special player down there in Anaheim. A rough year last year at 72-90. and 90. Uh, But Shohei Otani, I, I think this time off is going to help him. Uh, whoever the injured players are, it will help them. Uh, you bring in Rendon, who's one of the premier third basemen in all of baseball. What are your expectations in, a, in like, an 82-game season where really – everybody's got a puncher's chance now.
6: Yeah, I mean, I, I even go back to Chris Webbs in spring training, Joe Maddon at the helm. Uh, his energy and his positivity was was unreal. I mean, seeing Pujols and Trout, they looked like they was their first year in camp. I mean, they, they 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 were buying into everything. The fundamentals, doing everything to win a game by one run. It wasn't all about trying to hit a 500-foot home run. It was all about, hey, if I have to hit the ball the right side, and I think I'd help to have an, Anthony Rendon, because if you look at him, and I used to, I used to watch every bat he had in spring training. It's incredible. Whatever the pitch was thrown, he was hitting it. He wasn't trying to hit a home run. He could hit it, as we know he did against Kershaw last year to get that comeback against the Dodgers. He brings that little bit of a different element to the team, and everybody was biting into it. You mentioned Shohei Otani. He was supposed to be ready to go in May. Well, he's going to be ready to go from the get-go now. Griffin Canning's going to be ready to go now to start. So they're Every team is going to need depth. You're going to see a lot of teams potentially with a six-man rotation. Uh, so you need depth in your ro- starting staff, and they have that right now. And Dylan Bundy's was throwing the ball very well, even though if you look at his numbers with Baltimore, you know, gave up a lot of home runs. Mickey Calloway, the new pitching coach, who did a fantastic job. When you look back at what he did with Cleveland, with Kluber and all those guys, they were all no-name guys, and he turned them around. His philosophy about you know that first pitch strike and and see how many outs you can get with one or two pitches instead of always thinking swing and miss and swing and miss percentage and strikeouts hey they're great but if you can get some quicker outs you got a better chance of being in a game and you, less chance to make a mistake because the more pitches you throw to a batter and Don Drysdale told me this perfectly when I when I talked to him one time way back in in 86 he's or 84 I should say he said you're going to make a mistake to a batter every at bats but if you can alleviate the amount of pitches you throw to them, chances are if they get that one, they might not get it. But if they see enough pitches from you, they're going to get that one mistake you made. So I, I think the whole philosophy for this team and, and their their one through nine lineup is wow, it's pretty good. I mean, I I'd be shocked if they didn't have a great run here if we come back and play the 82-game schedule. That it's, going to, it's The old saying, baseball is a marathon, it's not a sprint. Well, it's a sprint this year, and it's going to be, I think it's going to be great for fans because every inning, every game is going to be so meaningful because you can't just go, okay, we're going to lose this game, we'll get them tomorrow. That might cost you a chance to get to the postseason, so every game is going to be fun to watch.
1: No doubt about it. And, you know, the PGA Tour can't play every day. NASCAR can't play every day. Uh, baseball can. And really, playing every day and giving the people something to look forward to every day can really reclaim baseball as our national pastime. And and the one thing that I – if I had a wish list for the Angels, I would say I want to see Otani. I, I want to be like Little League. I want him to play every day because the first time I saw this guy – the BP was incredible. Then you realize how fast he is, how tall he is, how athletic he is. We know he's got great stuff on the mound. It's like I want to see him pitch every five days, and the days he's not pitching, I want to see him DHing.
6: Yeah, I think you're going to see that this time around. I don't think you're going to see where it was two days before start start, He was already prepping for pitching, and then the day after he wasn't. No, I think you're going to see him. I would say at the very least he'll be available the day before or the day after to pinch hit, but every other day he's in the game he's hitting, and we, with him in the lineup it's it's a way it's a way better balanced lineup too because there's a lot of power from the right side, so now you have that power from the left side and and you need that and uh, and, and the guy another guy you got to keep an eye on now see this this way the baseballs set up right now it might be more difficult for Joe Adele is going to be a star, he is going to be a superstar player and you know, who knows what they're going to be, he didn't get it, you know, he was showing some signs again in spring training, getting some at-bats, you know, some ups and downs, some failures, successes. Now it's going to be harder in this environment we're going to be in now with, you know, shortened spring training and fewer at-bats and how they're going to work this out, but he's going to be a huge player in there too, but Otani needs to play as much as possible because now we're back in that same conversation of Babe Ruth, where, you know, the pitching and the hitting side of it and Boy, I you, are right about his speed. You don't realize how fast he is until you watch him run down the line. And think, because he, does, he kind of remind me like of, you know, Von White or, or Willie Wilson. They just have those great, graceful strides. It wasn't like Bo Jackson running down there like he was going to run through the bag or run through the first baseman. He was just, he's just gliding down there.
1: You know, we've talked to you about Bo, and the stories are great. And I mean, you play with George Brett, who's an all time great. Uh Bo Jackson, to me, is the greatest athlete of all time. But if I had to ask you to ex- explain to somebody about Mike Trout and his skill set and his greatness, how would you describe it?
6: Uh you, you mentioned both their names, and I've said this a few times. I might even tell you this before as well. I always, when everyone, they always ask me, who does Mike Trout remind you of? And everyone will always go, Mickey Mantle. Well, I didn't see Mickey Mantle play in person. I saw a lot of highlights. And same thing with Willie Mays. Uh, I always felt that Mike, every time I see him, is a combination of George Brett, his baseball skills, and the athleticism of Bo Jackson, and the wow factor of Bo. So you put George and Bo together, and, that, and I said so many times, that's Mike Trout. Because Trout, is going to hit a ball a mile, but he also is going to you know, run as fast as Bo down the line. But he also has the ability to not chase pitches out of the strike zone, force you in the strike zone like George did. Good power the other way. George had great power to left center field. Well, Trouty's got great power in right center field, and so seeing those guys playing how they work pitchers like like Trout and George did, but but able to run and, and hit and, and crush a ball and do all those things like Bo. It's I always say that that's the best way I can describe. It. It's a combination of those two.
1: You know, I I think about most home runs against the A's. It's Alex Rodriguez and Rafael Palmeiro. It's like 36 or 37. Trout's like a 33 already, and he's got another X amount of years. He just crushes the A's, but he will never get the all-time record because the all-time record home runs uh, against the A's is uh, Babe Ruth at 108. I don't think anybody's <laughs> ever going to touch that. But, yeah, it, it, it is a even though he he kicks the you-know-what out of us, it's just a pleasure to watch him play. Like, if you talk about if there's one guy I would pay to watch, it's Mike Trout.
6: Yeah, and, and over the years, I look at how Oakland and their staff, and and they've had some pretty good power arms. They they pitch him inside pretty effectively. But the more pitches you throw inside, the more out that baseball is going to drift out just far enough from the plate where he's going to get the good part of the bat on it. It's going to go a long, long way. I I give him a lot of credit. Those the ace pitchers, they have guts to go inside against them, and they've hit him a few times as well. But uh, you know, just watching him and. Never an easy ballpark to hit a home run up there in Oakland, and not an easy park to hit a home run, really, when you think about it in Anaheim either. So pretty impressive numbers. And I, I did something the other day where Trott has like 24 home runs in his career up at uh, T-Mobile Park at one point with Safeco. and That's a, that's a pitcher's yard. So, you know, you, you play more games, obviously, within your division, and so you have more bats there. But he's, so, he's had such a good idea what he's doing at the plate. He Very rarely do you see him chase a pitch out of the strike zone. And whenever he, you know, he has a little bit of a weakness during the off season, he'll figure it out. Like pitchers were pitching him upstairs, just above the strike zone for a while. And he was going after it. Well, he stopped doing that and he brought it down in the strike zone. His strikeouts went down and we all know his on base percentage, his walks, which were at one point last year, it looked like he was going for Barry bonds type numbers as far as on base percentage. So he makes so many great adjustments. He's not intimidated. Um, uh, and he's still just a kid. That's the thing. You see him on the field, and he has yes, energy and enthusiasm. But when you get him away from the field, and where he can, you could just talk something besides just about himself, or you know, because he never likes to talk about himself and or baseball that much. If you talk about you know the Eagles and football or the Sixers or anything like that, he has a blast. And or if you talk about, if I talk to him about Bo Jackson, he's intrigued because he's a guy that respects the players that played before them. that's the thing that you know it's so refreshing to see because you don't see that a lot with younger players because they just don't whether they're not educated on it or not or they just don't care to you know they, they they think of everyone now and they don't reflect on because you can learn so much from players back in the day especially if you get a chance to talk to them
1: let's end on this i've always been in favor for major realignment you know, play, A's and Giants playing 19 times. Angels, Dodgers. How about Angels, Giants, Dodgers, A's? It's just because I got to tell you, when the Rangers come to town, no one cares. When the Astros come to town, well, they now care, but they before didn't care. I, I The fact that we got these teams in California, even though the, the Mets against the Yankees 19 times, I just think if we had more of a California division, the rivalries would really heat up.
6: Yeah, my, uh, Chris, my, my ultimate goal, Dream would be, and I think there was probably some pretty good uh, momentum going, but I, with the way it's going now with the financial stuff around the whole country, it'd be more difficult to say definitely there's going to be two expansion teams. But this is my dream uh, Seattle and having a team in Portland, have the other team be in, say, Nashville or so. So you have Seattle, Portland, so that's a great rival. You got the Giants, A's, us Dodgers, Padres, and Diamondbacks all in one division. How great would that be? First, you would alleviate a ton of travel, which is which is I think is first thing they should be thinking about. Not even for this what we're going through now, just in general. But those rivalries and you know I don't have a problem if they never if they just kind of forget about interleague play. I mean I don't dislike it, but you already have those rivals. I can't imagine every game. I mean every game within this division would be so much fun because you're so close geographically that you're gonna have fans coming from the Bay Area down to LA, you're gonna have the same thing going back and forth. You're gonna have some incredible battles and some incredible rivalries that it'll make this sport so much better. Remember one that long ago the Red Wings were in the you know the Western Conference in, in hockey which was always crazy in my opinion. They're back in, in the Eastern Conference. You can do it. Everyone nobody remembers now Milwaukee was in the American league. You know, or the Astros were in the National League. People get over there'll be some you know people no 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 we can't do that or the same thing will happen with we don't want the dh we want we like all the different moves and and double switches you see in the national league dh and then have these rivals here it would be awesome for the game
1: mark it's great to hear your voice we always appreciate the time hopefully we'll see you soon in oakland or down in anaheim be safe and we'll talk soon
6: Sounds good, Chris. Have a good one. Everyone stay safe out there. Uh, we're uh, we're getting close. I think we're ready to uh, see some sports coming, the ones we want to see now.
1: Mark Gubaza, he is always solid. And those guys, for the Angels, they work hard. You realize they do every spring training game, and they do it like it's a regular game he'll actually be on the field talking with somebody after the game on television. Is that crazy.
3: They care about it. They care about the angels a lot. I mean, when you have the best player in the sport playing there, it's kind of, it makes sense to do it.
1: But I mean, it's like full bore, like, like middle of the week, spring training game on a Tuesday split squad. They're still on television.
3: Well, they got a lot of storylines this year now with, Otani and Rendon and, and Pulhos with the, the milestones he's trying to track down and Trout and, you know, you have a – well, you're hoping that – we aren't hoping, but Angel fans are hoping that they have a pitching staff this year because uh, they had one pitcher go over 100 innings last year, former A Trevor Cahill. So, they're but hoping I,
1: – I, 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 I didn't even think about that. This really hurts out for Pools. As you said, he's coming up on some milestones – and he's losing out on a lot of games. And he's at the end of his rope. So I I, I feel bad for him. I mean, he's a multimillionaire and he's, I mean, I don't feel that bad, but I mean, this is your legacy. This is your history. When you want to go down as an all time great and to lose this many games at the end of your career when you're trying to, as you said, go for milestones, that is not good. Okay, let's get into a little A's baseball. Give me these rankings. I want to know where is Jim Bowden putting our uh, uh, Jim Bowden. Where? He where, always got to think Jim Bowden, Bobby Bowden, Jim Bowden, Bobby Bowden. Uh, where are our guys ranked? As we are going to be having Chris Russo, the Mad Dog, on our program once again at three o'clock.
3: So what we you got. So we went over this a little bit on on Wednesday, but we saved it. Because you want a number, so I put the numbers on here. So shortstop rankings, which he did the other day. Well, I'll give you. The, I'll just give you the guys, and you can see where Marcus Simeon lands on his list. Number one, Francisco Lindor of the Indians. He hit 284 last year with 32 homers. Or sorry, 18 homers, 32 RBIs. These numbers are all. Yeah, sorry, I was right. 32 homers, 74 RBIs. Uh, then Javier Baez of the Cubs hit 281, 29 homers, 85 RBIs. Trevor Story of the Rockies is third. He hit 294 with 35 homers, 85 RBIs. Xander Bogarts of the Boston Red Sox hit 33 homers, drove in 117 runs, and he hit 309. Fifth is Fernando Tatis Jr. He hit 317, drove in, or hit 22 homers, drove in 53, but he got hurt, remember, I think it was like August. Gleyber Day, Gleyber Torres, a sixth. He hit 278 with 38 homers and and 90 RBIs. Now, he hit about 36 of those against the Orioles, so that shouldn't really count. Uh, Carlos Correa hit 279 with 21 homers, 59 RBIs. He came in seventh. Corey Seager of the Dodgers, oft-injured Corey Seager, coming back from Tommy John surgery, 272, 19 homers, 87 RBIs. in ninth, Marcus Simeon. He went 285, hit 33 homers, drove in 92, scored over 123 runs, had an 8.9 war. Uh, he's ninth on Bowden's list of shortstops.
1: That's that's I I, I can't even I I can't even believe that. Corey Seeger's WAR was three point three. Marcus Simeon's was eight point nine. Carlos Correa, Carlos Correa, his WAR was three point five. I mean, if you look at the numbers, Marcus Simeon by far had the best year of any shortstop by far. Because you're not going you're not you're not going over all the numbers. I mean, the at-bats, the games played, the runs scored. I mean, Simeon's year, I mean, there's a reason why he was third in the MVP, voting.
3: Yeah, he, I mean, he had a, a year for the ages, for the, not just an ace ranking, but for, for shortstops. Yeah, I know Xander Bogarts had a great year for the Red Sox, and he was fourth on the list. And Tatis is going to have a great career. He's already a star, in my opinion. Correa is kind of an underperformer sometimes. He hasn't been good since a couple of years ago. Corey Seager can't stay healthy most of the time. No, I don't disagree with uh, Lindor and and maybe Baez, but I w- I would put Marcus above Trevor Story because the one argument we always have he plays a coarse field, so he has a lot of home runs hit there. But he is he's starting to become a budding superstar for the Rockies. Him and uh, Arnauto next to each other, it's pretty scary for for uh, teams in the NL West going forward if those guys can stay healthy and the Rockies can get any semblance of pitching. And then we go to third base.
1: Matt Chapman's not one, he's not two, he's not three, he's not four. He's fifth?
3: Fifth behind Bregman, who was number one, Nolan Arenado, who's second, Anthony Rendon, who's third, Manny, I don't play every day, Machado, oh. or hustle every day, Machado, was fourth, and then Matt Chapman was fifth on Bowden's list.
1: All right, right out of the gate. Manny Machado admits he didn't play hard. Versus Matt Chapman, who comes to the park every day to kick your behind. You were that Manny Machado? Are you kidding me? Manny Machado's war last year was 2.6, Matt Chapman's was 8.3. Matt Chapman had more home runs. He had more RBIs. He's better defensively. Like Rendon, I'm not going to, Rendon had a great year last year. And you're driving in 126 runs, playing defense. His OPS plus was 153. Bregman, obviously. I mean, the only reason why Bregman's not winning the MVP is because of Mike Trout. Arenado. I don't want to. I don't want to throw him under the bus with the Coors Field argument. He's a great player. So you could you could like rolling dice. Bregman, Arenado, Rendon, Chapman. You could roll the dice to say, okay, who's the best? Machado's not in there for me. I think I think being on the top five on this list, it just goes to show how strong third-base position is in baseball right now. We have so many great young players in the game. I think there's no question.
3: I, I'm with you. I think that, I mean, obviously, I'm not a big Manny Machado guy. Even when he played for the Orioles, I was a big Manny Machado guy. I don't think that he had a good enough year last year after signing the 10-year, $300 million deal to merit him fourth after the Padres struggled again last year. But you're right about the position. At third base, if being in the top five, that's great. I mean, look at some of the guys that are, that, that are behind. Josh Donaldson is sixth. He hit 37 home runs last year for the Braves. You got seventh. You have Chris Bryant. He won an MVP a few years ago, and he's still pretty good. Uh, eighth, you have Rafael Devers. He was outstanding last year for the Red Sox. He drove in over 115 runs. Ninth, you have Yoan Moncada, who's a young up-and-coming star for the White Sox. And to close out the list, you have Eugenio uh, Suarez, who hit 50 home runs last year. Would he have 50 or four, sorry, 49 home runs? Close to 50. Pete Alonso hit 53. Suarez was second with 49. So you got a lot of good guys playing the position right now.
1: Yeah, so I mean to be in the top five is great for Matt Chapman. But I, feel, I, I if anything, I would have him what would Arnotto's numbers look like if he didn't play at Coors Field? And I know that's... Uh, but but the fact is, he does play at Coors Field. So the numbers are what they are. Uh, Matt Chapman, let's just wait and see if we can get an 82-game season here. And Chapman and Olsen and Simeon all go out and do something similar to what they all did last year. Their names are moving up the board. You I agree. Know, you, you, you gotta you gotta it, it's about establishing a track record like like that's the thing with Simeon. I mean, this was a historic year. Do it again. Do it again, you move up the list. Chapman Olson, bombs, great defense gold gloves, platinum glove, you move up the list again. It just takes time. They want to see it multiple times. Now, remember, he's got nothing to do right now. I mean, he's working, but everybody's, everybody's you know, kind of doing lists and all this kind of stuff because normally they would be writing about games. They'd be writing about outcomes. So they're just having to dig stuff up. But the names I mean, you look at the shortstop list, you look at the third base list, all these guys are good. It's not like you're putting crap guys up there. Uh, I just saw this. So baseball is supposedly after Memorial Day on Tuesday
3: is going to give players what? A new plan? Yeah, according to Evan Drellick of The Athletic, Major League Baseball plans to deliver a new economics proposal to major to the Players Association on Tuesday, sources said. So that's from Evan Drellick of The Athletic on Twitter. Major League Baseball plans to deliver a new, a new economics proposal to the Players Association on Tuesday. And then,
1: coronavirus, teams will be limited to bringing 35 people to campus environment if season uh, resumes per report. This is the NBA. While the NBA has yet to make any official announcements regarding the finishing of the season, the league is reportedly heavily favoring using Disney World as the sole host to play out the remainder of the season. On top of that, teams are also expected guidelines from the league on June 1st, in regards to when workouts can be expanded, and with an eye toward players toward playing games in the middle of July, this is all good news. This is this is telling us they're going to try and play. Golf's going to get going. NASCAR's already going. NBA, then hopefully Major League Baseball. What's good is all these other teams. See, baseball, I've mentioned it quite a few times, they don't want to be the first guy in the pool. So other people are getting in the pool, and I think it's going to make it easier for them to go, well, hey, look, they're doing it, and they're doing it, and South Korea's doing it, and now the NBA's doing it. So hopefully we'll get that with baseball. My next guest, he's one of my favorites because he's, he's a legend in my industry. Earlier today, we caught up with the great Chris Mad Dog Russo. Our next guest is very special to us. He's a Radio Hall of Famer, and he's considered uh, the greatest sports radio personality of all time. And what he does on Sirius XM and also on the MLB Network is wonderful. And Chris, I, I got to tell you, my subscription was up. For my Sirius XM. And because of you and all the guys over at uh, MLB Radio on Sirius XM, I definitely renewed. I'm supporting you guys because you guys, you do an unbelievable job. And I can't thank you for all the support you guys have given us over the year here at A's Cast.
7: Uh, glad to do it. I'm glad to see you do that. Very good. MLB Radio does a great job with uh, anchored by Phillips, Steve Phillips. And, uh, you know, here at Mad Dog, we do the best we can. And obviously, a lot of time to fill right now in the last 10 weeks. Uh, with, uh, you know, not a lot of sports to talk about, and we have essentially basically run a full day's programming. So we're doing the best we can. Sirius is a superb company. They've taken good care of everybody, and uh, maybe down the road here, Chris, we'll get some sports, namely baseball, uh, sometime uh, maybe in early July, if we get lucky. So we'll keep our fingers crossed.
1: You know, before we talk baseball, we're coming up on our one-year anniversary, and obviously we've talked about this before. We're the only team uh streaming a live station 24 seven. And one of the reasons why we created this and I decided to do this is because I watched your career and I watched you leave terrestrial radio and start mad dog radio over at Sirius. I had two years left on my contract. I had a good show. But watching you inspired me to go, you know what, this is something that no one's ever done before. This is something new. And watching you allowed me to do this.
7: Well, that's a good sign if I could have that kind of impact. Uh, You know, I had worked 19 years on Terrestrial Radio, so I was looking for a little bit of a change. And I was fortunate that Sirius was out there. Plus, I had seven or eight years of Sirius before I got there, you know, led by Stern. So I knew that we were going to be okay as a company. Uh, although at times when we first got there, we were really struggling with the merger with uh, XM. But overall, uh, you know, if you take a chance and you get a little lucky along the way and you work hard at it, you know, things could work out. So you took that chance uh, with this streaming broadcast. And although for me, radio is easy. I mean, I enjoy doing it so much that uh, I didn't think the radio aspect of it was a chance. You could argue that the company decision was I had a good thing going on terrestrial I was there for a long, long time, but uh, I figured a change wouldn't hurt anybody, and I got lucky along the way. And of course, the thing you like about Sirius, you can do anything you want because you know you're not tied into any specific team. So, as far as going out there and having the flexibility to do any kind of talk radio, sports-wise that you want, you can do. You're not tied in just the Mets, the Yankees, the Giants, Jets, the local team that you are, the talent you, in the talent you're in. You can do anything you want, which is uh, one of the reasons why I found it very attractive when I left.
1: You know, I think about uh, a rant you recently had, and they they put it up on the New York Post about how players, agents, they're just so tone deaf. It's like there's 36 plus million people on unemployment, and you guys are going to just fight to the end for every single little dollar uh, t- tell us why this disturbs you and you even brought up scott boris in, in your rant
7: yeah and i like boris but the, 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 this bothers me um and obviously now we have since found out there was a <clears throat> excuse me a smoking gun that the union when they negotiated this contract with the owners back in march knew that there was going to be baseball without fans in 2020 that they were going to have to renegotiate uh you know yeah, in good faith, as the quote says in the document uh, regarding, uh, you know, giving the owners a little break uh, from a standpoint of uh, revenue loss, you remember, 35% uh, every day. Uh, there's no baseball because of no concessions and parking and tickets and suites and all that. And the, uh, the the player association knew that and I guess didn't tell its players because you heard Blake Snell, you heard Harper, Kershaw and Alan Dan Patrick. Trevor Bauer, you heard a lot of players scream and yell about how there will never be another nego- renegotiation negotiated once and you know, in this day and age uh, we don't want negotiation we want cooperation because you know, the sport right now is, and all sports, in a, even the NFL is somewhat desperate to put their product on the field and although they're going to have to do without fans, they still need to have some cooperation with their labor force Uh, not worry so much about, uh, you know, who's getting paid, but just put a product out on the field to keep the sport up and running and to sort of, you know, one hand washes the other and to give the fans something to watch. And the players in baseball, you know, were wrapped up in negotiation of what is in it for me. And nobody wants to hear what's in it for you right now. Bottom line is we need baseball back. Again, as you said, Chris, 36 million unemployed. And this is not the time to quibble over a couple of bucks. This is the time to realize, okay, this is an odd year. Uh, you know, Manfred's not trying to jam down a salary cap with a revenue split. Uh, this is dire, dire times, and it requires dire measures. And the, and the players don't seem to grasp that. Now, in the last four or five days, they've been quiet. Uh, so maybe they will eventually understand that uh, whatever they do, they have to figure out a way to get on the field if they get this health protocol straightened out, which I think they might. And uh, then we can, uh, you know, think about having baseball in July. So I was just annoyed by it. Uh, you know, Tony Clark and Boris and people like that screaming and yelling, it's stupid. People don't want to hear about this right now. And I understand that, uh, you know, and I think overall, calmer heads will prevail, but it did bother me there earlier in the week. No question about it. No question
1: about it. No doubt. And the health of the sport long-term, if someone like Blake Snell – when we truly have heroes out there, and I think about where you are in New York and New Jersey, and you got people, even my producer, Cody, his fiancé, is a nurse, we've got these people out on the front line truly risking their lives. They're truly at the front of this, and you got a healthy young baseball player talking about his safety. I mean, talk about tone deaf.
7: Yeah, no, that, you know, Snell said, well, listen, in my health is going to be a risk, so I'm not taking a pay cut. Well, hold on now. So, in other words, you're willing to take a pay cut if they pay you enough money, but uh, because, you know, to make it worth your while, if it's a health risk and you're not worried about your health long term, then you shouldn't play at all no matter what the money is. So, yeah, right, very, very uh, silly. I blame it on the association's leaders because they didn't get the message across Uh, to their uh, constituency that, guys, you know, this is a different year. We're going to have to understand uh, the plight the sport's in. We're going to have to work together with the owners, no matter how unappealing that might be. And, uh, you know, and furthermore, um, although they never told the players this, we did agree uh, back in March that if it came to the sport without fans, we were going to have to renegotiate that agreement uh, that was made on March 26. So uh, everything that is done here, Um, you know, the player association has to understand that this is about putting the sport on the, uh, you know, on the board, on the field, uh, July, August, September, and October, uh, any way they can. Uh, Now, listen, I'm not expecting the players to go out there under any circumstances. If it's very unsafe, nobody expects that. Nobody expects anybody to risk their life uh, to catch a virus, to play a ball game. Nobody expects that. But if proper protocols are taken taken and it seems like they're working on that and you know these are young athletes you know chances are they're going to be okay you're not going to have no risk but if the risk is low uh you know agree to play and then you can figure out the money down the road so uh you know we'll see how this develops uh, it seems like it's settled down here Christopher in the last three four days so maybe come heads will prevail I think Manfred is smart enough to realize that, that no matter what he does this is part of his legacy He understands that uh, he's got to get sports on board this year, maybe be the sport that brings the country back to a degree um, and, uh, you know, figure out a way to uh, play an 80-something game season. And I think right now I would lean to the idea that he'll be able to do that. So if you ask me right this second on a Friday before Memorial Day, Chris, I would suspect that there would be some sort of baseball there uh, early July.
1: You know, when we were growing up, it was so ridiculous where you had Atlanta, Cincinnati and Houston in the NL West. And I've always made this joke that if if I get on a Southwest flight and I can't get to that town within within under three hours, you shouldn't be in the same division. Good point. Maybe, maybe just maybe i mean like think about it we got the rangers and the astros in the al west it's ridiculous you're a san francisco giant fan there's no reason they should be in the same division with the colorado rockies so i'm just wondering maybe just maybe i know we got a lot of traditionalists they have trouble with change but it's better that the giants and the a's play each other 19 times or dodgers uh taken on the a's 19 times or angels i mean the rivalries in state could this be a time we really could 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 look at realignment for the for the first time and really do it right?
7: I uh, listen. Yeah, I, I think there will be some experimentation. Assuming they play, I don't know if you're going to get into a realignment scenario where you're going to have you know Texas and Houston play in a division with say Colorado, Arizona, uh, you know maybe Atlanta. I I, I don't think you're going to get that crazy. I think that's a little too complicated right now. Um, You know, they're going to have enough issues just playing a season uh, and, you know, uh, to go out there and to realign the sport when they're trying to figure out a way that they can, you know, take batting practice with masks on. Uh, I don't think they want to bite off more than they can chew. So I think that is down the road discussion. But I don't know if they're going to get that radical with the realignment in a short season. I think you'll see some experimentation with doubleheaders, seven innings. Uh, maybe a guy at second base to start the 10th inning in a tie game, the universal DH. I, I think you'll see things like that. But your radical realignment step, and there is arguments to be made for it, I don't think that they can get into that right now because they've got too many other things they've got to worry about. Their, their job right now, Chris, is just to put a season together and, you know, to do a radical realignment. Uh, now, they might put Texas and Houston in a different division for one season, but they're not going to do it, you know, they're not going to study it backwards and forwards to get it exactly right because they've got too many other things to worry about. So I think that down the road could occur. I don't think you're going to get full scale realignment this year. They're going to try to make sure that, you know, they keep the travel, uh, it, you know, condensed, uh, you know. Uh, but I still think that Miami and uh, I still think Atlanta will be in the NL East. I think Tampa's going to stay with the, uh, you know, the Yankees and the Red Sox and the AL East. It's not going to be perfect, with, but you do all, all going to have the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Orioles and the Mets and the Phillies. I think you have that. They'll play more, but I don't think you're going to have a radical realignment in divisions. they got too many other things they got to worry about right now, not to put that on the table.
1: Let's end on this. If it's an 82-game season, because in, in 162 games, people get exposed. Teams get exposed for their weakness. But in 82 games, it's kind of – for the most part, everybody's got a puncher's chance. Uh, how do you see – when we get this thing going, how do you see this season?
7: Well, I, I, I think you're right. I, I think you'll see a situation where, you know, teams will see an opportunity where they're, the great the great team will – the bad – the so-so team will see an opportunity to steal a championship. So I think that you will see uh, – you know, it's now a sprint instead of a marathon. So I do think that you'll see – uh some chances taken by the teams that wouldn't necessarily uh be a team that uh would you know over 162 would have an opportunity now that doesn't mean miami all of a sudden thinks to win a championship but the mid-red team you know uh whoever that might be the reds the white Sox, um texas you know that kind of franchise i think they might see an opening uh to put a little something together listen um it won't be. I'm not sure how I'm gonna feel about it. You know, if I have a White Sox Diamondback World Series, am I gonna consider it legit? I'm not sure. I gotta see how the season plays itself out. I mean, theoretically, I know that the Yankees and the Dodgers. I know who the best teams are going into the year. And all of a sudden, if I have a playoff scenario where it's the White Sox, Diamondbacks, Reds, you know, I'm gonna have to, and the Yankees don't play well and they go 41 and 41 and somehow I don't make the playoffs. Now, that's going to hurt the legitimacy of it. You know, last year the Nationals at 19-31 and 31 would not make it in an 82-game scenario. They needed the more games to sort of have the cream rise to the top. So let, let me see how that develops. Uh, I'll be happy to have baseball. There's no question about it. Uh, but the legitimacy of the title is interesting. And the same thing goes for the other two sports, especially the NBA. I mean, if the Greek gets hurt, Am I supposed to make a big deal about you know a, a team in the East playing in the final that's not the Bucks, or if LeBron gets hurt or Kawhi and it's Oklahoma City in the final, is that going to be a legitimate championship in the NBA? So uh, th- there is some situations with the three month gap, with the shortened season in baseball, with the injury aspect in the NBA, NHL the you know the hot goalie goes a long way, but in the NBA and, the N- and Major League Baseball it will be interesting to see if the sports fan who follows this religiously, if he's got a weird post season or he's got a weird final four, if he's going to consider it legitimate, I got to see how it plays out before I give you an answer on that.
1: You know, what we've been trying to do here is bring on familiar voices to make people feel better since we're, we're still in lockdown here in Northern California, of course, your voice is so familiar to all of our baseball fans because of your great work on SiriusXM and also on MLB Network. We always appreciate the time. Be well,
7: be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Always a pleasure, Chris. Thanks for the kind words. Thanks so much, pal.
1: Chris Russo. See the goat.
3: Yeah, for sports talk, I, I'd say him and well, obviously him and Mike in the Mad So Mike and the Mad Dog. So him and Francesco would be the two guys. I'd Pete b- frankly. I'd put you up there. Who, me? You, you'd be in there. No.
1: Uh, Pete Pete Franklin was a legend. There's been a few, but the success that that guy has had with ratings in the number one market and then now what he does for SiriusXM, I mean, he's he's paid millions. Like... They, they, when they got him away from Mike and the Mad Dog, they had to offer him some serious coin. And the cool thing about him is the way he acts, he, he's not putting on a show. That's who he is. And he's a really nice guy for his stardom, fame, and money. Like he walked through. I remember we met him at the – and that's why it's been so good for us to go to the winter meetings so people can meet us, see our faces, so then now you can tell when he talks to you, he knows who we are. And I remember at the winter meetings, I was walking behind him and just the way – just how nice he is and everybody wants to talk to him and he's just just a – he's a really cool guy. Because you never know when you get that success and you get that money – How's it going to change you? And it hasn't changed him at all. Roxy Bernstein's going to be here at 330. Man, the A's need to know one thing. You have to get out to a hot start. That is just, that is just, that's the reality. You can't pull the, hey, we're 500 for the first two months, and hey, we're going to get hot. And then we'll be like the hottest team of baseball, and we'll make that. Nope. That's not this season. And I know it's traditionally what the A's do, but I'm just hoping that because this core has played with each other a couple of years, new players, so it takes time for them to gel. But they did this kind of stuff when they had the big three and you had Giambi and you had Tejada and you had Chavi. I mean, and they still would get out to slow starts. I don't know why. But this season, you get out to that slow start, you you probably arguably you won't be able to catch up. That's why it's going to be so important, as Mark Gubazov said, every game. You just can't say, and I you know what? And I'm going to love this because. If you know one thing about me, I can't stand it when teams lose early and people go, "Huh, ah, throw up their hands, huh, ah, it's early." 2012, didn't that didn't that prove the theory of, "Ah, it's just one game." Yeah, just one game, huh? Tell that to the Texas Rangers who thought they had the AL West in the bag. And next thing you know, it's game 162 and They're either going to win the division or they're going to the wild card game. And the A's won the division. Just one more win in May. Just one more win in April. And the A's wouldn't have caught the the Texas Rangers. Texas just had to win one more game. So that's why this will be really exciting because we'll, I think Cody will be covering, we'll be covering it differently. There's going to be a sense of urgency from game one all the way already all to game 82. What if we're playing seven-inning
3: double-headers? I think you're right. I think there's going to be a lot of – I'm hoping the teams realize the sense of urgency. Now, in different markets, it's going to be different. I'm pretty sure when the uh, the Orioles or the the Tigers get out to a, uh, an 0-1-4 start, well, season's over. Uh, Ravens and uh, Lions season starts here soon. Because that was always the thing of Pittsburgh when the Pirates got out to a bad start. It's like, how long till training camp starts for the Steelers? Uh, That's what some markets are, you know, some teams are going to have to feel like. But with the A's, they have to get out to the hot start because you know there's going to be a team in the division that will. Heck, we're seeing the Seattle Mariners on the uh, baseball reference simulated season be the number one team in the division 52 games in. Now, they were the best team in the division last year after 15 games, and they lost 94 games last year, 93. Uh, But they need to get out to a hot start and not be. Right around 500, maybe two games over, and going into a series against like Texas or something like that, where they need to win all, you know win every game to catch up to Houston or or the Angels or something. So getting up to a hot start for a lot of teams is going to matter. For other teams, like you know the teams we expect to be bad, the Marlins, the Pirates, the Orioles, can't say the Mariners because they're doing so well in the simulated season. It doesn't matter as much as it does for teams like the A's, the Rays, the teams that have high expectations that, that want to win. How do you what do you think people in um Chicago on the south side, or in, or in Side? I did say South Side. or in Cincinnati, how they're going to feel if, if the Reds and the White Sox who are the chic picks in each division or each uh league in the NL and AL and they get out to slow starts, are they going to be panicking because everyone expected them to be the team and now we only have half a season, but it's going to be completely different. so if those teams don't get out to a hot start, it's going to be a chaos in those cities like it is in Boston hundred and sixty two games of the year. And I think Chris is
1: right from a standpoint of if we don't have one or two of the powerhouses in the World Series, like he said, a D-backs White Sox World Series, I think at that point, then we'll be like, yeah, this season. But if you have, you know, A's Dodgers, I mean, people expect Jim Bowden said on Wednesday, he expects the A's to win the division. The A's are not, you know, the little team creeping up on anybody anymore. Minnesota Twins, same deal. The Yankees are going to be healthy. Rays are extremely tough. Bullpen changes, though. Can't take your pitcher, put him out in left field. Bring a guy in, get one out, and bring the pitcher back from left field. Can't do that anymore. You know, the Milwaukee Brewers can't throw out 8,000 relievers at you to get them through September, so things are going to be different.
3: You made me think when you mentioned the Rays, what if the Rays bring a guy in for three three outs, and then they put him in left field, bring a guy in for three, and then they put that guy back in that's playing left field? <laughs> Can you do that? That's a question.
1: Um, because he's, techni- he's
3: technically still in the game. I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to think of head for teams that might be trying to do something creative like that when it comes to it. Will be kind of. I mean, for me, I think it'd be kind of funny.
1: So I get three outs. I stay in the game.
3: Cashy comes out, tells you, "Hey, we're going to bring in the lefty." They put go out you out to left field. You go out to left field or right or first base or something. And let's just say Oliver Drake, one of the relievers from the for the Rays, comes in. He gets three outs, and then we go to the next inning, and you're back in pitching again. And there's a new left fielder.
1: And then you get three outs. Then you go back to left field. <laughs>
3: <laughs> See what I'm saying? Like you could, you could.
1: Oh, it would be it would be, be awesome to watch. Have a guy pitch. All right, you're gonna. How could you do this? Uh, okay, we're gonna start the game. With a pitcher in left field and a pitcher on the mound, you throw the first inning. You then the guys they switch. Then you throw the second inning, and then they switch. And so, so you know what I'm saying? You're getting the first, third, and the fifth, and you're getting second, fourth, and sixth inning. Two pitchers getting you through six innings.
3: Blake Stone, Charlie Morton, every game.
1: How crazy would that be?
3: No, we're, we're just spitballing. We don't know if this could actually happen. But if it if it could, and the Rays actually did that, I would be I would applaud them for doing that during a game, especially against like the Yankees or something, and just to just to, uh the piss off the the Yankee the the New York media and the Yankee fans. Like that would be great. Like, who's
1: our most athletic guy?
3: Starters. I don't know, Frankie Montas was hitting bombs yesterday in the cage, well, like 415 feet on the simulation, so he, you got to throw his name in that, put his hat in the ring.
1: Okay, so he- here's how we're going to do it. Frankie Montas, you're going to start the game. Jesus Cesardo, you're playing left field. Don't get hurt. Frankie pitches two innings. Then he goes out to left field and then you bring in Jesus for two innings and then they flip flop. So Jesus goes back to left field. Frankie comes back. Because remember, Frankie's still throwing out there. So he's not like, and then Frankie throws five and six, flip flop again. And then Jesus goes seven, eight, and then Liam Hendricks closes it out.
3: I think it would, I think we we're onto something here. Can the Rays call Rick Ankiel to come back? Because I'm sure he could come and uh, still pitch pretty hard. You I know, mean, he was throwing a hundred when he was pitching for the Cardinals. They moved him to the outfield. Like seeing like guys like that, like Otani. If you could find a position for him, you know, how deadly he would be every game. Just to come in and or every couple of days and just pitch a few innings and then go play the field. And he wouldn't be wearing out his arm because he's only throwing a couple innings. And we're only playing eighty two games. Like this is like the year for you to do that.
1: Yeah, I'm wondering. Now that I think about it, you know, hey, if we're thinking about this, you know, the Rays are
3: thinking about this. Well, we're out of the box thinkers, and the Rays, uh, that's what they do. So, I mean, the A's were always out of the box thinkers, and the Rays kind of came along and they were doing it with the opener and the, the, what we we're talking about, what we're just talking about, like taking guys out, and put them in the field. They do all kinds of creative stuff. I, I could see them right now, Eric Neander and Cashy, our friends, sitting down there just talking about. So, how can we keep Blake Snell in the game? even when we don't want him in the game pitching? Or how can we get Diego Castillo to come out of the bullpen and pitch three inning, three outs, but we want to keep him in, but bring someone else in who's more effective, but then bring him back in to pitch the ninth? Like, I could see them sitting in a meeting or virtually on Zoom doing this. Think of how valuable Mark Kotze would have been. You're saying what, he's throwing at 90, what, 96? 96. i
1: telling you, I, I, I played against Kotze in college. Dude would hit two bombs off of you, then he'd come in from center field and close the game out.
3: That that has to be an inc- I, incredible you, sight to see.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. You're just like, this guy's a superhero. He's literally a superhero. And he's the best guy I, I ever played. I mean, I played against Giambi, I played against Nevin. Um, Bobby Jones at Fresno State. But Kate's the best player. I right? I mean he had so he had so much impact on the game. When you're a center fielder. Hitting – I want to – I want to
3: – Are you looking up his college stats? Yeah. Well, I, I had this open on my computer. I've been waiting, meaning to bring it up. We talked about earlier with Joe uh, Sewell. And in his last game – his last year, he had four strikeouts on the year. Can you name his high career high in strikeouts in a season? Now, he's the a Hall of – He's a Hall of Famer, mind you. How many – what's the, his career high in strikeouts in a season? Who are you talking about? Uh, Joe Sewell, who – and remember we talked about he only had four strikeouts in, 500 <laughs> in and 524 at-bats his final year.
1: Uh,
3: six. His career high was 20. That was in uh, 1922. Then it was 12, 13, 4, 6, 7, 9, 4, 3, 8, 3, 4. <laughs> and this hey, is like hey, a I, lot of I the have, bats. I have
1: an, ar- I have an article. From June 24, 2014, Mark Kotze hit five sixty three. owns the record all-time college World Series batting average. Wow. He's also the, at this point, 2014, he'd been the only player to hit two grand slams at the College World Series. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You got it. I mean, this guy's numbers, you know, we also kind of played in the juice bat era where, you know, you had some of these bats that are like 34, 29 ounces. I mean, it was a joke. Uh, Why well, can't it? has got his pro no- I want his college numbers. Okay. Cal State Fullerton. I mean, this is, this is a good little year. Um, 41 games. He hit 372. Oh, my God. I mean, the guy was a superhero.
3: Three seventy two. That's, I mean, uh, I mean, he hit five something in the college world series. You got to step your game up.
1: Yeah, with with over a thousand OPS. Yeah, I mean, just you know, forty one games.
3: What year was he when he won the Golden Spikes Award?
1: Uh, was it was a ninety five.
3: That's the top player in college baseball, correct?
1: Yes, that's uh, your your, it's 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 basically you're the it's like the MVP.
3: I think one year our friend Trevor Bauer won the Golden Spikes Award at UCLA. Did he really? Yeah. Let me see, I think it was 2010. In
1: 1995, Kotze won the Golden Spikes Award and was the most outstanding player of the College World Series as Cal State Fullerton won its third series championship. In addition to being an outfielder, Mark Katse was a closer in college. He pitched the final five outs to clinch his team's College World Series title. Kotze was a consensus choice as an All-American 95
3: and 96. 2011, Bauer won the World of Spikes Unbelievable.
1: Well, we're trying to bring on all our voices, familiar voices, and we've missed them. The great Roxy Bernstein is with us here on A's Cast Live.
0: Hi, Uncle Townie. How are you?
1: I was talking about you earlier. Uh-oh. With, with Uncle Feldy? No, I I was talking about how you travel so much, and you got all those rewards. You're one of those guys that's able to go to like those secret bars where they have food at the airport. That's how much you fly, and and I was like, you you gotta be. You're like the cage animal, man. What is it like? You you usually how much have you traveled by this time of the year normally?
0: It's it's been weird to be home for this long consecutively. You know, I'm used to being gone. At this time of the year, Chris, you know, most weekends I'm gone. I'm doing some baseball somewhere, whether it's for you know, the A's, whether it's for ESPN, whether it's for the Pac-12 network. So I'm usually on the road somewhere, and I haven't stepped foot in an airport or a hotel since March 12th.
1: Your wife has got to be going, my God, when when, when are you going to get back to work?
0: She's like, I didn't sign up for this.
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm looking around my house, and I'm looking at my wife, going, "Are you? Are you? Okay, I'll just give you a little skinny." Okay. Because my wife teaches in Milpitas, like they are at a point where they're not—they're not even really talking about having kids back in classes. Wow. And I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" You need to get back to work so I can get my life back.
0: (laughs) We all kind of need our lives back, don't we? We need some baseball. Hopefully we'll have some soon.
1: Yeah, and I'm excited from the standpoint of, boy, Roxy, every game, the way guys are going to manage – you can't give away a game, you can't do this stuff that they normally do in April and May and go, oh, it's, early. it's not early, man. This is a full-on, as soon as the gun goes, you're sprinting to the finish line.
0: Well, I, I think that's what we're kind of all hoping for, right? When we get going, we're going to jump right into the guts of it. And there, I think the truncated season, it's going to make for some interesting decisions. Um, and and there's still a lot to be ironed out, right, that we're waiting for. What's the roster size going to be? How are things going to look? Are we really going to go with that model of the three 10-team divisions? Are we going universal DH, Uh, three batter minimum, like all these things that we're anxious to see the rules that we're going to play under. But I think one thing is universal, Chris. We all want baseball. We all want it as soon as we can possibly get it. Of course, if it's safe, too.
1: You're a Disney employee, and I don't know if you guys have talked or what's happened, but um it's interesting that the NBA could resume from Disney World, and they would play all their games at Disney World. Have you got you any insight on that at all?
0: I mean, that's the rumor that uh, there's been a number of different things, Chris, that we've heard. For example, the NBA, there may go to two different destinations as far as uh, the conferences. So the Eastern conference may go to the worldwide sports facility there at Disney and Orlando, where the Braves also used to have spring training, but then the Western conference may all head to Vegas and that way to cut down on travel and try to be in somewhat of an insulated bubble, um, there's all types of plans that are out there, but it just seems that that might be the most logical move to go. And let's face it, if they're not going to allow fans in the stands, what is going to be the best avenue for the NBA? We're here in the NHL as a couple of options. Uh, the last few days have been optimistic about college football beginning in the fall, especially with Gavin Newsom's announcement the other day that he'll allow competition to take place in empty stadiums and arenas. And so I'm encouraged by the movement that we're seeing. It's just waiting for this, you know, people smarter than us to make those proper decisions.
1: You know, I just thought about that. We think about all the conference tournaments that are in Vegas.
4: Mm -hmm. They've
1: They've got so many arenas there. That would be, I mean, you could put a bunch of teams in Vegas and they could be playing every day, all day.
0: I mean, and that's the thing is, okay, where are we going to do this? I mean, it, yeah, they got the different arenas, but I, I think that, for example, you have UNLV, the Thomas and Mack, and it, attached to it right next door is another facility that UNLV uses as well. It's a smaller facility, but they do play the NBA Summer League there. So there's two arenas that are side by side you're looking at the T-Mobile Arena which is there in Vegas as well which isn't too far away. The MGM Grand has an arena, the Mandalay Bay has an arena. So there uh, there's all these options to host games there. And let's face it, if you if you don't have an, a need for stands, there's practice facilities possibly that are available also. So I think we're looking at the possibility of options there. Orlando has I don't know if you've ever been to the Wild World Sports Facility. I've been there before. There's an arena there. There's a huge field house that has like 20 courts in it. So there are plenty of spaces to do it and just as long as they can protect everybody and make it safe.
1: That'll be watching an NBA game, but it looks like a summer league game, but the game actually counts. And then the playoffs will look like the summer league. You know, it's it's, it's going to be wild.
4: Well, the one
0: thing is, I mean, for example, I was talking to somebody today, Chris, about the Warriors. Okay, if, if they have to resume some of the regular season, what happens? And I guarantee you it's going to be the Santa Cruz All-Stars, basically the, the G League team for the Warriors. Curry's not going to play. Clay's not going to play. Um, I'd be shocked if you saw Draymond. Maybe Jabari Parker for a few minutes here and there. And, that, and then it's going to be like Smiley Geach and all these other dudes, Marquise Chris. The Warriors are going to mail it in and I, I, there's no incentive for them to play the rest of the season, play it out. And the better they do, the worse it is because they're in line for one of the top draft picks.
1: Yeah. As we like to say on this show, when you mentioned some of those names, you go who?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the Warriors roster. If they restart this thing, but it will be the smartest thing to do for them. Why, why should they risk an injury to Curry? Cause when they resume and they're going to, there's too much money at stake. They're going to play at some point. It's certainly going to push back the start of next season, right? So we're looking at, I saw a timeline today where the NBA finals could take place in mid September. And they're talking about the 2021 season for the NBA beginning at Christmas time and shifting that as well. So I don't think the NBA is concerned with that right now. As much as okay, how do we proceed? How do we get this thing going? How do we crown a champion?
1: You know, the one thing I, I'm, and hopefully we're gonna see what this proposal is from Major League Baseball to the teams uh, and to the players on Tuesday. One of the things that we haven't talked a lot about, but will be fascinating, is there gonna be a trading deadline? And how? That's would a good that
0: question. Look? That's a, I think that everything has to be on the table, don't you? Because let's face it. And are we going to expand the playoffs this year, right? Instead of just having the two wildcard, you know, there's the proposal to have more wildcard teams. Well, is that going to be thrown in this year? And then let's say seven of the teams in each league, or if they're going to do it via the three 10 team divisions, how do you decide playoffs? So I, I think there are some decisions to be made. Certainly the players union will be involved because they always are. But the plan is to get everybody on the same page to move forward, and we get a, And hopefully we get baseball. And I know that people keep looking at possibly the beginning of July, maybe for the 4th of July, to get the season going, which would be great. But as far as I'm concerned, I, I think you're in agreement. The sooner the better.
1: Yeah, and the more baseball that we have, as you just said, expanded playoffs, the more we have of anything live. I don't think people are going to care how the format looks. Just the fact that we'll have games, if there's more games, I think the sporting public, I think people, I've had people tell me who don't even watch baseball saying, I would watch it every night.
0: Well, look at this past weekend. I mean, look at the NASCAR ratings, right, and how they just completely obliterated any race previously in the last three-plus years. And then how many people were clamoring to watch the Bundesliga, right? German soccer. And people were watching that. There's people I know that were listening to it in their car. They were just craving live sports. We had some bad golf last week, but people were watching. Of course, this week we have the Tiger, Phil, Brady, Peyton Manning deal, which I know a lot of people are going to watch. But as you see, it's starting to ramp up a little bit, which is, I think, a good sign for everybody.
1: Yeah, four, four dudes in shorts playing golf. Uh, yes, I was watching.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And this week, four dudes playing golf, talking trash. It's going to be more colorful this week in a Tigers club there in Florida.
1: The medalist. I love it. It's going to be, it's, I don't know what Tom Brady's game is going to look like because obviously he's been uh, working out for football. But uh, yeah, I'm watching that. It's, 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 it's two of the greatest of all time in golf with two of the greatest of all time in football. And they're already talking smack. Did you watch their little press their zoom? Oh talk? yeah, yeah, I uh,
0: saw that. It was, it was, it was and smart. then to add intrigue to it, Charles Barkley is going to be one of the commentators on this. And who doesn't want to hear that?
1: And Justin Thomas is going to be a part of it, and he's a big time trash talker. So that that should be uh, that should be some good stuff. So I, I mean, yeah, we're we're starting to get you know, and and you know, the governor of Florida has said, "Hey, if." Uh, your government there won't allow you to play. Come to Florida. We've got plenty of places for you to play.
0: And well, we've already had wrestling going on there for the, the WWE and the other professional wrestling leagues never stopped. They kept going. And, but I, I think the other day, that announcement from Gavin Newsom earlier this week, Chris, was, was, was big in so many levels, right? It was a sign that we're going to be open for business. You can play here. And we might not have fans in the stands, but, you know, if Major League Baseball says we're going to play in our own ballparks, it means the Oakland A's can play at the Coliseum. It means the Angels can play at the Big A, the Padres down there in San Diego. The Dodgers can get going at Dodger Stadium. And it's going to make it for, I think, at least some sense of normalcy if we, during the summer, get to see the A's playing on the field of the Coliseum.
1: So, what have you been doing, like deep dive? I don't know if it's books or Netflix or what, what have you been doing?
0: What have I been doing? I've been going for like five mile walks every day, man. I'm getting out. Uh, being off the road means that I'm kind of eating healthier, right? So, instead of like gorging at all these, these you know, places you got to hit in the respective towns, eating at home, uh making sure i'm getting out getting my exercise every day uh watching tv of course like everybody else and the the, i have not gotten into the tiger king i have not jumped off that cliff just yet there is a netflix series which i do want to start watching i've heard a lot about it's about it's called sunderland till i die have you heard this no It is about an English premier soccer league in one of the smaller cities over there where you think we have fandom for our teams. And we do, we love our teams. It is literally life and death. And these people go nuts and it's about the love affair that this city has with their team. Uh, Sunderland trying not to get relegated and just how all the people in this town are completely engulfed with the Sunderland football club. And it's called Sunderland till I die on Netflix. This is this is that's my next project I want to get going.
1: Me, I've just been watching my hair grow. Do you see how long my hair is?
0: I finally cut it like about three weeks ago. I was in your stratosphere, and it it got cut, and I'm, I was feeling like a human being again. But now it's starting to get longer again, unfortunately. I'm but I do it- see that that flow you got going. that nice salad you got.
1: I'm uh, I'm letting it grow.
0: And Cody's got his going too. I can see the commander no. is—he's uh, is full beard. Like it's like this is like Cody's looking like late in the Stanley Cup playoffs right now. He's like conference finals mode.
1: <laughs> Not quite Joe Thornton yet, but it's um, no it's pretty strong. Although, did you hear he cut it? Would it what for charity or
0: something? I, I think he just did it. I mean, I think he needed something to do during you know stay-at-home orders. And all of a sudden, it's there, and then there was, like, an image, and it's gone. So his is gone. I, I believe Brent Burns still has his. But, yeah, the, the the Joe Thornton beard, it was, like, trimmed to a nice cut short level instead of the ZZ Top-looking thing that he's had.
1: You know, I think about two sports, and and I think about the struggles we're having with baseball. Luckily, the KBO is working. KBO is talking about bringing fans back into the stands, which is great. I just, when you think about the contact that you have in football and hockey, I just, it's, how do they get going?
0: That's a very good question. I mean, I even heard the rumblings that they're trying to develop some masks for people to wear for football and hockey underneath the helmet that they have. Um, like this, for example, hockey, okay, you, you, have to wear that, you have to wear the visor, right? The half shield. Uh, unless your grandfather didn't like Joe Thornton, doesn't wear anything because he was playing in the league and playing without that half shield before it became mandatory, so he's allowed to keep it. But now will they make NHL players go with like the full cage? Will, will that help? I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's people trying to decipher what is the best route to go and you have people in the close proximity for example how close they are sitting on the bench next to one another there in these tight quarters where at least we watch the KBO and or in the Bundesliga and they're spread out and people aren't sitting together but what's going to happen there there's still a lot to be figured out and I think that's why I give baseball a much better chance of coming back and having success in the other sports and then unfortunately you have to think about what happens if somebody does test positive what happens at that point? And does everything get shut down? What would it take to trigger everything to be scaled back? There is so much to be laid out and planned out for everybody.
1: We just need it back. And yeah, we, need, we do. We need you back doing play-by-play, and we need, uh, we, need, we need this great game back because it's the only game you can play every day. You can play baseball every day.
0: I had some exciting news yesterday, late last night, Chris, there was an announcement that Pac-12 is going to come out with a, with a conference baseball tournament, a postseason tournament, which is pretty cool. Really? Yeah. Like, you, know, you see with the SEC and the Big 12 and all the ACC and the Pac-12 and the Big West, which, you know, the two leagues out here were resistant to do that. And the Pac-12 last night saying they will have a postseason tournament next year. The format's still to be decided. They're talking about somewhere down in the Phoenix area. Scottsdale's been thrown out as a possibility. Uh, The Cubs facility right there uh, as well is is talked about as a possible spot for this uh, talking stick resort and their facility because it's a beautiful facility. Uh, But there is conversation. It's going to happen. The Pac-12 will have a baseball tournament, which is great to see.
1: Well, we've been bringing on familiar voices, and, of course, your, your voice is one of the familiar ones for our audience. So it's good that you and the family are doing well, and let's do this again soon.
0: Let me check my schedule. Um, Chris, I'm available anytime you need me. I got nothing on it. It's open. See you, buddy. All right. See you guys.
1: The great Roxy Bernstein here on A's Cast Live. Oh, man. It's good to hear from him. It's good to hear from all 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 all, all our uh, friends of the program.
3: It was. It's funny because Roxy literally just disconnected the video. He was still there. I was like, is he going to watch us the rest of the show? So,
1: I- so, so one of the things that Jim Bowden fears is that, you know, you're going to have like 50 guys, and they're going to have to be six feet away from each other at all times other than when you're actually playing on the field. So he goes, most clubhouses are not big enough for that. I'm like. That's the e. We just had the military build hospitals and in in parking lots. I think we can build. I think we can build a a big for two teams. uh, We got enough parking at the Coliseum. uh, We could build two monster clubhouses where everybody can be six feet away from each other. All these ballparks have parking lots, and you could build. It's and, and and you know what. Sit in the stands. We have 50,000 seats where people can social distance from each other if you're a team.
3: You really want to socially distance? Put them up in Mount Davis. There you go. There, no one's going to be around anyone, and you won't have any problems. But you're right. The, the parking lots are big enough any, everywhere you go to, to build stuff, and uh, I, I, I like that idea. Will they do it? Who knows? But it's, it's something that you can definitely consider.
1: And it goes back to your, like your little league days. You show up in your, you show up in your uniform. You don't shower. You get in the car after and you go home. That's what you did in Little League. That's what you did in Pony League. That's what you did in high school. I mean, it's not It's not that complicated.
3: There was no clubhouse in high school. We didn't even have grass on the infield when I played high school baseball. We didn't have grass on our infield for high school baseball.
1: So for road games in high school, you remember? You'd get out of class You'd go change into your baseball uniform, and everybody would drive over to whatever high school you're playing against. You'd play in that game. You wouldn't shower. You'd get in the car and go home and shower.
3: You guys didn't take so a bus we, there? Huh? They, we took a bus. You guys actually got to drive yourselves there?
1: We had we had to drive ourselves.
3: Oh uh, Wow, look at Pennsylvania coming up big. Shouting out the money to drive. In my little school district <laughs> pay for us to go an hour or sometimes away to t- pay, play games where we lost every game.
1: Well, we were in a normal big city, so every high school wasn't that far from each other.
3: Yeah, that makes sense. In Pennsylvania, we had to take a bus, and you know, we were playing games, and like right outside of Pittsburgh against these schools. And I think we'd win like three games a year. Then, like two years after I graduated, they got better. Then, like a couple of years ago, our baseball team finally won the uh, the section championship after like I don't know, thirty or forty years.
1: All righty, let's end it with a little buying or selling.
3: It's time for
1: buying or
2: selling so, so. right now
3: with Chris Townsend on Ace cast live. So if you're looking for a little excitement next on Ace cast, well, we're going to have the A's 54th win of 2019, which took place on July 14th of last year. They defeated the Chicago White Sox when Ramon Laureano, he had the walk-off, but it was a really uh, weird walk-off. He grounded to a fielder's choice, and Chad Pinder scored on a throwing error by White Sox shortstop Jose Rendon. Liam Hendricks picked up his fourth win of the year as the A's win 3-2 for the 54th victory of the season. Do you remember that game? Yes. It was a it was a weird one. The walk-off fielder's choice. You don't see that very often. So So Mike Lupikov MLB.com, the sports reporters is formerly on ESPN. He's one of the you know more storied sports writers in the country, wrote an article yesterday talking about the player of the century in Major League Baseball. He mentions how Mike Trout could still be the player eventually, but he picked another one of Trout's teammates, Albert Pujols. This will be Pujols' 20th season once we get going. He has 656 home runs, 2,075 RBIs, 14 100 RBI seasons, and three MVP awards, and he's been a World Series champion twice and NL rookie of the year. And he once hit three home runs in a World Series game, same as Mr. October Reggie Jackson did in 1977 for the Yankees. When he won over the 100-game mark for the win hook. – I'm letting me read this. So, anyway, he's had seven straight seasons of at least eight wins above replacement, which is pretty remarkable. that's like Mike Trout territory. Buying or selling Albert Pujols is the player of the century so far.
1: Uh… what was Pujols' first year?
3: To, him and Ichiro debuted the same year, two thousand one.
1: Yeah, I think you got to give it to
3: him. The the only other guy that had the longevity of, the, of that time that I was thinking would be maybe Miguel Cabrera, but he doesn't have the home runs or the RBIs anywhere near what what Pujols put up in St. Louis.
1: Pujols' numbers, uh, they're up there with the greatest of all time.
3: Um, he's forty four home runs away from seven hundred. So, right. me I mean, will he get there this year? Probably not. But he'll get clo- He'll probably get there by sometime next year. Hopefully, because I would like to see him hit 700 home runs. I'd like to see him challenge for Barry Bonds' record, but I don't think he's going to get there. He's still over 100 away, and he's not getting any younger. But we'll see. So, we already went over this, but I'm going to ask you anyway because I like to ask these kind of questions. Jim Bowden, our friend, released his third base rankings for 2020. Just like shortstop and first base, no respect for the A's. He has Matt Chapman fifth in the third baseman rankings behind. Bregman, Arnauto, Rendon, and... Bob Townsend's Manny Machado. Manny Machado is a great player, but he doesn't play hard. He won. He had a down year after signing a mega $300 million deal in 2019. He was a minus defensive run state player last year, where Matt Chapman was around, like, I don't know, 34, something like that. That's uh, He's pretty much given the ace three wins with his defense. Buying or selling, Manny Machado is the fourth best third baseman in Major League Baseball.
1: Selling. That guy's a pariah.
3: I think that people are going to be so over him in the next couple of years, and they're lucky that in San Diego they have Fernando Tatis Jr. The, to glob onto because I think Machado's is going to – people are going to be over him because if he's not hustling in the first year, what, what's going to change? Uh, not, not Jace Tingler. Tell you that, he's not going to help that. Oh. Exactly. So on Tuesday night, ESPN aired game six of the 2011 World Series between the Rangers and Cardinals. Now, during that game, the Rangers blew the lead five different times, 1-0, 3-2, 4-3, 7-4, and 9-7. That's more blown leads than the combined total in any World Series ever. The Cardinals went on to win that game on a walk-off home run by St. Louis' own David Fries in the 11th inning. The Cardinals will go on to win the World Series the next night. Now, other memorable World Series games will be 1960 Pirates-Yankees game 7, the Blue Jays and Phillies, A's, Dodgers game 1 1988, Twins and Braves in 1991, Smoltz versus Morris, Astros Dodgers game 5 2017, game 7 of the 01 World Series, Luis Gonzalez, and game 7 of the 1997 World Series Indians and Marlins. Buying or selling game 6 of the 2011 World Series is the greatest World Series game ever.
1: Greatest World Series. I'm I'm selling. I mean,
3: it's a tough. It's t- there's been so many good ones.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, di- Diamondbacks, you got you got a you got a dynasty, biggest payroll, just legendary players, and the D-backs take down the Yankees. And remember those classic games that they had at New York where they came back uh, and it looked like it was going to break the hearts of the, of the Diamondbacks, but it didn't because you had Randy Johnson going in game six. And then you got Kurt Schilling, game seven, that, that then leads to Randy Johnson coming back in and Mariano Rivera, the greatest closer, gets beat. I, I, to me, I would go game 701.
3: Uh, that's a good one. I also forgot to mention in there too, game seven of the 2016 World Series. Rajay Davis hits the game tying home run and then the Cubs win an extra innings. They win their first World Series in what, 100 and, 109 the years? Rain delay. Yeah, the rain delay, everything. That was a great World Series. All right, last one. I'll see this one quickly. Two years ago yesterday, we saw the debut of Juan Soto. In his first game, he became the youngest player in Nationals history. Did a home run at age 19. Through his first two seasons, he has a 7.4 war, 56 homers, 180 RBIs, a 287 average. He scored 187 runs in an OPS plus of 140. There's another guy in the same division, Ronald Acuna Jr., has played one more game than Soto. And in over two years, he's a 9.9 war, 67 homers, 165 RBIs, 205 runs scored, uh, incredible 65 stolen bases, 285 average, and an OPS plus of 130. Buying or selling, Juan Suttle will be the better bet- better player than Ronald Acuna Jr.
1: You know what? I'll, I'll buy that.
3: Ooh, that's, it's tough. This is a tough one.
1: i, I but, Well, you know what? At some point. And we've seen this through history. At some point, if you don't change, your act gets tired. And all right, how great you are, your act gets tired. And so, I I, I like to see how, because Soto, everybody loves him. They say this kid's, you know, salt salt of the earth. Everybody loves him. Cunha Jr. He's a great talent, but at what at what point does he wear on you?
3: Yeah, it was bad last year with the the everything that happened the few times with him and I like the way you're right about Soto people people love him and he had a great playoff run and he was great in the World Series and uh, it's crazy to think they're both uh, 22 and 21 years old and they've already been, this will be their third year in the league. All right, we are
1: off on Monday, is that correct? That is correct. So we will be back on Wednesday from one to four. What are we going to do all these days where we're not on?
3: Well, I don't know. We'll figure something out. But hopefully on Wednesday, this is a little, hopefully, a surprise for everyone. I'm efforting to get the big three on. Zito's already confirmed. Hudson's going to give me a time, and I just have to get in touch with Mark Mulder. So hopefully on Wednesday, along with Ray Fossey, we'll have the big three on with us that day.
1: You mean the rhino from the Mass Singer?
3: That's correct. The, the star of the, the Mass Singer will be on with us. He's no longer Barry Zito, you know, pretty well known Giants and A's pitcher. He's just the Mass Singer's rhino.
1: Hey, I gotta tell you, he 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 did really well, according to my kids who watch it. He went deep into the competition.
3: He might and have been nice- more.
1: I mean, he's a musician, but he's more his claim for fame as being a a songwriter.
3: I think he. I think he's gonna be okay in this music business kind of thing he's doing.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, after that big contract, I think. I think. I think life's good for the Zito yeah. family. <laughs> All right, buddy. You have a good weekend. Everybody, you have a good weekend. Be safe, and we'll talk to you next Wednesday, and happy Memorial Day.
2: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.